You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Hey, Power Athlete Radio. I want you to put your business hat on because we have an amazing episode with Mr. Joe Reggio on the podcast. He is the owner of Varsity House Gym in New Jersey and also runs a business mentorship and really just a, a systems for people to run gym called the Business of Strength. We kind of take a interesting detour today. Normally, we're into human performance, talking about neuroplasticity and how to improve everything that looks like the physical. We're going to take out and we're going to step on the other side of the coach, more importantly, the business owner, and analyze the systems associated with running a successful business and investing your time in all the little things that look like running a business and more importantly, how to be successful. I think people get into the business of strength and conditioning because they love to train athletes and they like to train themselves. But at some point, it becomes a business where all of a sudden now you got to wear multiple hats. So Joe does an incredible job of laying it all out and is really dug in on the business systems and provides a breadth of knowledge and experience that I haven't seen and we necessarily haven't addressed on Power Athlete Radio. So if you're into the business of strength, you own a facility, and you have questions, this is the guy to look for. And um, I wish this service had been around when I opened my gym. I definitely would have been a client of his. So like I said, dig in, Mr. Joe Riggio. Thanks for coming on the podcast, dude. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm honored. I feel like we're old friends. It's probably the accent. <laughs> Except for the accent. Yeah. yeah it's, what it's, accent? It's, You're the one with the accent. <laughs> <laughs> so where are you based out of? Uh, our headquarters is Berg, New York, which is in um, the first piece. We're literally the first piece of property over the border from the northeast tip of New Jersey, just over into lower Hudson Valley, New York, a county called Rockland County. And okay. the rest of our gyms are in New Jersey. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting as I was going through all your stuff, kind of reviewing for this podcast and just kind of getting up to speed on the business of strength and also Varsity House Gym. It's pretty interesting. You obviously have, um, you know, brick and mortar locations, but what you really do is you go out and you help mm-hmm. gym owners, micro gym owners effectively run successful businesses. Yeah, that's correct. And we, yeah, that's correct. I, I started the gym in 06, like a lot of guys, um, you know, started in a garage, you know, kind of a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. It was an old loading dock. The town that it was in, the landlord, they had made him put, it used to flood really bad. So they made him put like a huge drainage pit in and the drainage pit blocked the loading dock. So rigs couldn't back up to it anymore. So it basically effectively made this space useless. So it was empty for two years. So me and an older fellow who was like a basketball skills and drills guy set up the business uh, in there. We split the business. I had like 1,200 square feet. He had the other 1,200 square feet. And we were there for three years. Typical journey, built that up, became a pretty busy, you know, my whole mindset at that point was I'm going to be the best coach in the world. You know, I want to be the next, you know, Charles Paulquin, Eric Cressy's, these, you know, my mindset was all revolved around training. I, 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 I got really busy because we were producing really good results. We go to the next gym, about 5,000 square feet. Me and my business partner, at that point, we partnered up, go to the next gym, about 5,000 square feet. First employees, bigger overhead, the real 
start of actually managing a business. And, you know, for two years in a row, we almost went out of business after the summer, after our athletes left, the majority of our athletes were football players. So, you know, Dan and I would be waving out the door, you know, August, August 15, you know, saying goodbye to everybody and, you know, be looking at each other with the fear of God, like, oh shit, we're going to run out of money by mid-October. And uh, so that's what really started for us kind of getting the the becoming, making that transfer from coach, professional coach to professional business owner and really just creating a mindset. You can still be a great coach. You can still have a great training product. You can still strive for being one of the best and be a world-class coach, but you have to become a businessman. So we did that. And, you know, here we are, you know, 14, this is 14 years of being partners with Dan. I've been doing this the gym thing for about 25 years all in. And, um, and, and now we have, we built and own our own headquarters here. It's a 20,000 square foot facility. It's kind of like a, it was like our dream project. We had athletes, adults, physical therapy. At one point we were doing a lot of work with local, um, high level local athletes who were doing either NFL or pro day work and stuff like that. Um, and, and now we're opening up a series of satellites. So we've done the big thing. We don't want to do that again because it's too much to manage. It costs too much money. So we're going down small. We've niched down to smaller, uh, more micro semi-private personal training studios that are in that 1500 to under 2000 square foot range. Sure. And they're super profitable. They're much easier to run. And, uh, and, and, you know, we spent the last 10, like I said, the last 14 years setting up the systems and the people to create an autonomously running business so that we could do stuff like this and, and focus more on the scale rather than the minutia of running the business. Yeah. No, I, I found that, um, cause I actually owned a gym as well and I always wanted to own a gym. I just didn't realize that, uh, I wanted to have a gym. I always wanted to have my own equipment. I wanted to have a place to train. I just didn't necessarily want members. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, when I opened the gym, I was like, Oh, this is great. I have all my equipment. And then all of a sudden we had members and people and entitlement and dealing with all this other stuff. And I'm like, I don't want this. I just want a place to lift weights. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we ended up having the gym for a long time. We kind of treated it. <laughs> you want little... You want your own private barbell club. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I wanted. And it's, it's what I have today. Um, you know, we have power yeah, athlete HQ. Yeah. I got a building full of equipment. Um, you know, people come, we do seminars, we do events and I train for some professional athletes and it's exactly what I want it to be. Uh, That's I can awesome. keep it clean. I can have the equipment I want. Things aren't broken. If things break, you know, somebody tells me like I would come into our gym and things would be broken that were theoretically impossible to break. Like it was <laughs> unreal. Like I remember we were That's doing every day here. Oh my God. We, um, so we uh, Louis Simmons reached out to us years ago when I owned the gym and was like, Hey, um, it'd be cool if we could host a powerlifting meet for Southern powerlifting foundation. I was like, yeah, great. I'd love to do it. What do we need? And, uh, you know, at the time I think I had a mono, I had a comp bench and I had all that stuff cause we were doing a bunch of like heavy powerlifting stuff. And so I was like, yeah, no problem. We'll have it. Um, and I remember as we were prepping for it, we were doing a bunch of dynamic work. So we had all these bands kind of like wrapped all perfectly around like the bases and we had weighed them and, you know, we had like a chart. So we knew exactly like, Hey, this band with this, at this height weighs this. Cause we had weighed it all. And I remember I came into the gym one day and one of the trainers had, I guess people just doing some like banded distraction stuff where they're hooking bands up. Mm -hmm. uh, those people took all of the bands off of my mono, even though we had bands uh, on hooks for them to, to use. They somehow like, because the mono was closer to the hooks, they just decided to take all the bands off of my mono. And I came in and I was like, where are all the bands? And like, Oh, well the, the, um, you know, the class took them off because they needed them. I'm like, yeah, but they're over there. And they're like, yeah, it was too far to go. 
that point I was like, oh, I'm going to burn all these people to the ground. Uh, and then, like, they came in one time and like, um, the comp bench, like it was like the amount of shit that I would have to fix that was theoretically unbreakable. Um, you know, you buy like, you know, 800,000 pounds, uh, a thousand dollar, you know, nice Olympic bars. And I'm watching yeah. people do a barbell warm up and just like lift it overhead and drop it. Yeah. And then the bar all oh. of a sudden breaks and the bearings, bearings blasting oh, out it, the sides it, and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. like it imploded. And I, um, I remember being like, I don't want to come here anymore. And I, I went around the corner, rented a little space for power <laughs> athlete, took all of my equipment and put it in a little gym space and built my own private gym. And I remember where the coach is like, what are you doing with all this? I'm like, I'm taking my stuff. <laughs> F these people. And uh, I, I was super happy with it. And it just came down to the fact that one, when I go train, I want to use the equipment I want. I want to have a good location. I don't want to stumble over a bunch of shit. If something's not put away, it's because I didn't put it away. I just hated cleaning up after people. And uh, it was, yeah. Um, you know, and also too, I wasn't necessarily uh, skilled in like this business. Um, I knew about training athletes and I knew about working with people in this, but like the skills to run uh, a micro gym in the business and to deal with this, I just wasn't ready for it. And at the time there wasn't really anybody doing things like you're doing. So as I was going yeah. through your stuff, it's super valuable just for the fact that I think that, you know, um, it kind of reminds me of what I call dirt in a dream where, Hey, we're going to have a gym. We're going to train people and we're going to work out too. And I like to work out. So maybe other people like to work out, then they're going to pay us. and We're going to have this great business. And, uh, I don't know how to correct, collect credit cards and I don't know how to do membership and I don't know how to, how to book online appointment. I mean, you know, yeah. most people, you know, especially with the CrossFit stuff where it's like, Hey, you know, you, you went to your seminar and now you get to open a gym and, I watched so many people fail and fail and fail and just go in and put themselves in debt for what I thought was insanity that, um, yeah, as I was going through your stuff, I'm like, man, this is really, really important and well needed. We interrupt this episode with a shameless self promotion. Power Athlete delivers battle tested performance programming for every kind of athlete. So do you want to go from average Joe to MVP? Then dominate with field strong, get stacked and jacked with Jack street, Hustle in life and still build muscle with Grindstone. Fear no opponent with Dragon Slayer. Be harder than coffin nails with Hammer. Max out minimal equipment with Lean Enable. Or unlock those newbie gains with Bedrock. Get over to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and choose your seven-day free trial right here, right now. Get lifting, get training, get in shape, all while listening to the rest of this show. Well, that's that's kind of what started it for us too. We 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 started the business of strength completely organic, and we I was at the time, you know, like I said, training some guys for the NFL Combine, doing lots of pro. I, I, we had at one point we had over fifty pro athletes, a hundred collegiate athletes here training with us, right? And so the perception of the business and us as coaches was that we were, you know, producing some really high level work. And my business partner and I had obviously made some smart business moves at that point to lead us here. In 2013, we bought this piece of property and constructed this airplane mm -hmm. hangar um, from the ground up. And, and you know, that uh, really allowed us to um, financially and let's call it from a from a, you know, thinking, you know, future wealth standpoint really changed the game because renting a facility this size would cost here in Jersey, uh, or New York, New Jersey. At the very minimum, fifteen to twenty-five thousand a month minimum, right? And that's not outfitting or anything like that. So your overhead costs are going to be gigantic. So when you build a building, you know you're able to do it at a lot cheaper rate sure. and own the building and property. But we were at a training seminar 
Um, I was out of Jim Jones, you know, I had gone through their yeah. whole training protocol back in the day when they were like doing all the movies and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, um, we, every, every seminar we thought people would love to talk to us about like how we train NFL athletes and stuff like that, how we were training all these college kids and everybody was asking us about business. So my business partner, Dan was like, why don't we just host like a little business seminar and we'll invite some people over to the gym and we'll just kind of show them what we do. Uh, that was in 2015. And, and so we did that and we sold that seminar out in like two days. We had like 30 people sign up for that seminar and we were like, wow, this is kind of cool. And the, the response from it was like, this is amazing. You guys opened my eyes. I didn't really like, I, I, you know, here I am, you know, spending $30,000 on another training certification. And I haven't even read one single book on business, customer service, communication, any of that type of stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, well now, you know, right. So you know, you gotta you you have another skill set and another bucket that you can fill up. Start filling it up, and 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 there's hope, right? So, um, you know, in in this in this game, you know, going back to what you were saying earlier about not liking customers and not wanting to share your equipment. Oh, you know, I know, I know. People it's, making it's... a mess. We're not we're not putting John Wellborn in, <laughs> in charge of any of my facilities anytime soon. No, people, so. <laughs> no, I, I uh, no, it's it, it's Can true. We I mean, are new GM. What the hell's the matter with you people? <laughs> What's, well, so uh, when I originally got into this thing, um, I uh, was living in an industrial loft and I had weights downstairs and I was lifting weights and training there. And like, I would go out to athletes performance in different places. And I started training at this CrossFit gym just cause they had bumper plates and I didn't have bumpers. And, um, I ended up going, um, uh, uh, to go play for the Patriots. And one of the guys that worked there was like, Hey, when you're gone, can I train some people in your downstairs? Like he was, you know, uh, working in a couple different gyms and said, Hey, can I train some people there? And I was like, yeah, no big deal. Came home like eight weeks later and he had like 75 people coming out in and out of my, like basically this like 800 square foot downstairs industrial loft that I was living in. And, uh, I was like, I came in and was like, what the fuck? Um, and, uh, the neighbors weren't happy about it. I mean, these people are running around doing stuff, dropping weights and this whole thing. And like, it was an absolute disaster. Well, all of a sudden I get, uh, we'd start getting the, the guy across the street, I think hated us because he was like five foot four, didn't lift weights. His wife was way bigger than him. And he like had like a t-shirt company and, uh, he just started calling the city on us. And it was like, you know, these guys are basically doing something illegal. So then the city shows up. I'm like, hey, dude, like these are industrial ops are meant to be businesses. We went and got a business license. No, no issue. And like, this is what, you know, they're like, well, you're not allowed to go outside. I'm like, what do you mean we're in California? We can go outside. And it just, it was literally to the point where the guy just called the police every single day he saw us. And like, I own the building. And uh, yeah. it was like, it was just, it was such a pain huh. in the ass. The dude, um, to this day, uh, he's still, I mean, if I ever saw him, like my brother, I remember still we were, pain, yes. well, I remember my brother was like, ran into the guy, my brother's a lawyer. He's like, Hey, I saw that little asshole. He used to call in the gym at the courthouse. And I was like, Oh yeah, what happened? He was like, yeah, he was there for something. I totally screwed him over. I talked to the DA about it, but, um, the, uh, <laughs> like the same dude, uh, you're going to laugh at this. The same guy that lived across from us that was calling, he actually lived on the corner and on the other side of like the parking lot next to him was this like, you know, Newport beach bar that had been there for years called the brew pub. And, uh, he was so unhappy that there were people obviously getting in and out of their cars, going to a bar past midnight that he would call the police every night at midnight on these people to the point where the brew pub got into like a lawsuit with this dude. And like, we've been here for 40 years you knew this moving here. And he's like, well, yeah, I'm unhappy about it now. Just like, I, I just, you know, small-minded people. Everybody wants to go to a gym. Nobody wants a gym near them.
we had we had cease and desist letters. We've had the cops called on us all the time. And we were doing a similar type of training. You know, I, I kind of came from that same like West Side barbell. So we were bands and chains, pulling sleds yeah. incessantly, like out in the parking lot every day, all day. Right. And we had an old lady who used to come running out in her mumo screaming, you're making so much noise. You're yeah. scaring my dogs and stuff. And uh, and that's part that was part of the reason why we 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 built this was because we're a standalone in an industrial area. And we, this was nothing but wood. So we built it kind of hidden out here um and the models changed a little bit some of the training models are a little bit different but you know we're still we're still uh you know a gym is still it's a great it's a great business for strip malls and other like local retailers because yeah, you bring a that consistent traffic. traffic right you bring consistent traffic to the place um you do have to deal with sometimes you know the constant music the gym is open from 5 45 to 8 p.m so there's lots of music playing all the time and we do like to do stuff outside and get outside and get the community and the people involved and so forth so it always winds up you know we try to make friends with everybody as best as we can but you know if you're not getting a cease and desist letter you know you're not doing you're not you're not trying hard enough in business you got to get out there and pump it man well when um so then uh, i decided i was like you know what like i still want to have the gym i don't want to you know we had all these people training so i went up the street and i rented a commercial space part of the issue we looked at too was the uh, retail spaces wanted like i want to say like 275 350 a square foot which you know based upon newport beach and the pricing and the sizing I'm like, man, we already have like 75 people coming to this thing every single day. We're going to need a bigger space. So then we went to light industrial, you know, which I want to say was like 75, 80 cents. Now all of a sudden you got a warehouse, you're going building out. It's mm -hmm. fine. And then we were in industrial park. Uh, we're there. Everything seems great. We meet the neighbors all of a sudden a year later, uh, we start getting another issue with the guy calling the cops on us because um, one of the, the guy ran kind of an import export business of like German trinkets, super weird, like Oktoberfest mm -hmm. shit. The guy was Germany, he'd bring it in and sell Oktoberfest stuff. Uh, his employees would have smoke breaks and they felt harassed by seeing people work out and doing fitness and training outside. Like, you know, like, you know, run around the block. We said, you know, just basically people pushing sleds in the parking lot. They felt that they were being harassed because they weren't into fitness and they were feeling bad about themselves for smoking cigarettes. So then I had to have like a huge blowout with these people, talk to the property manager, the guy that owned it, had a big meeting with him. And he's like, hey, I have another space on the other side with nobody next to you. You can do whatever you want. So we ended up moving there into our third space. And at that point, we were running the business. And uh, I started, you know, obviously I was traveling, doing all the stuff for Power Athlete. And I remember like it was just existed for my friends and my family. And then one of my trainers wanted to buy it. And I was like, thank you. Take it. Like you can have this thing. It just takes a very, like, I always think that for the micro gym model, um, it's, uh, like it really takes like an owner operator and people that want to train people and work in this kind of like, yes. it, it's not like a commercial gym where, you know, you sign up a thousand people and less than 10 people a day really come to the gym. So you're basically mm -hmm. building off of this model where I'm going to hire, I'm going to bring in a bunch of people on a real cheap uh, entrance and I'm praying that nobody ever shows up. You know, when you're in kind of a micro gym model like you are, you know, you're functioning about an 80, 80%, 85% occupancy of like, you know, if you have a hundred members, there's a good chance 80 of them are going to come over the course yeah. of a week. So it's, uh, as we sat down and started just pulling the numbers, I was like, Man, certainly. Yeah. I mean, this is a tough, tough business, uh, especially when you start looking at employees. And I remember we hit about, 
yep. 110, 130 people. And we could handle that with like an owner operator and one or two coaches. And then all of a sudden when we pushed to like 150, 180, it like we needed exponentially more people. Then I had to have yes. five coaches and I'm running payroll taxes and this. I mean, it just like the business went from like here to like here in real time. And it wasn't necessarily, we, we didn't grow exponentially, but. That's really the key, right? I think, I think, you know, so we call it, the coach owner paradox, we kind of have this term for it, right? We, the majority of micro gyms start with a passionate coach, a person, you know, guy or girl who just wants to help people, wants to coach. A lot of times comes from an athletic background themselves. Many times, and I've met many in the last couple of years, especially going down to like Sorenex and going down to Summerstrong, a lot of collegiate strength coaches who have made the jump over to the private sector. Um, and, and the the real mindset shift is you know it's it's not just all about the training in the private sector you like you said you know there's a huge customer service component there's a huge accountability and follow-up component um there's a huge cleanliness and facility maintenance component right and and then there's that and we haven't even touched on sales and marketing right the private gym sector business is all about sales and marketing and 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 you have to have that nailed down you know, really well. And then last but not least is, you know, the human cattle herding that you have to do with employees and people, right? So you have the human cattle herding on the side of the customers where you're dealing with complaints, you're dealing with issues, Custom, every customer wants what they want. So they want, you know, they want, you know, a special water dispenser, they want new equipment, they want a nice new turf, and they don't realize the economics of the business, they just want what they want. I called and, it herding cats. Uh, herding yeah, exactly. Okay, herd, yeah. Right, yeah. herding cats, right? <laughs> and then, and the same thing on the human side, right, on the employee side, um, but we found is that is that, you know, first thing is an attitude change, right? You know, if you're going to be in the brick and mortar space, you know that these are necessary evils. So if you know that they're necessary evils, you have to get good at at, at dealing with them. And and so if if leadership and the structuring of business is a necessary evil on the private side, well, then it makes sense that you're going to have to learn that or you know, hire somebody who does. Most gym owners, most small micro gyms don't have the money to go out and hire a CEO or a chief operating officer right off the bat, right? So um, so you wind up having to get good at those skills. And, and that's where we see the biggest failure in the micro gym world is that the the owner has failed to acquire the business skills and has put all the eggs in the training basket. And I always say that coach owner paradox, that's the point in which you, you, you've, you've, you've mastered the skill of being a good coach and you delivered a great product for a period of time in your local community. And you've gotten busy doing that. And, but now the busy, like you said, usually it is around a hundred clients to 150 clients. Now I can no longer remember their names. I forgot to call John. Damn it. I knew you know John was out this week for vacation. I forgot to call him back. Uh, this per you know, then things start to slip. So, you know, the busy coach gets busier. That busy coach is now doing 30, 40, 50 sessions of training a week. He's in, inundated in the training and the business starts to then slip. And you get to this, you get to this crossroads where, you know, being a great coach has got me really busy, but now I can't work on the business and the business starts to tank a little bit. And that's usually about year three. Most of the gym, most gyms don't make it five years and they're done. So, you know, year three, running on adrenaline, by the third or fourth year of running that six-day-a-week, you know, split shift schedule from six in the morning till nine at night, you know, that kills most people and 
that that's the that's the end game if knowing that and seeing that and watching gym fails around me new jersey this area is incredibly competitive in the gym space so there's mm-hmm. probably 50 gyms within five miles of where i am here um knowing that dan and i set out to really create an autonomous business and and you know we wanted the systems the processes and the business side of things to run you know relatively without us if need be and so we started setting up those systems pretty early. My my first business coach was a guy named Pat Rigsby, who was like an OG in the space. And we went out to Pat's a seminar that Pat was running in Louisville. And Pat has like a real thick Kentucky drone. He said, and he said, Joe, let me ask you a question. He's like, you only train athletes. And when we started the gym, we only trained athletes. And that was our first mistake. And 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 because I like you, I like the purpose-driven nature of an a- of training an athlete, right? Somebody that's training with real purpose. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, uh, athletes don't usually have deep pockets. Um, you know, correct, so, right? Yeah. The majority of them are broke, right? Yeah. And so Pat says, Pat says, so what's your day look like? And you know, I was like, we come in and train around ten. We eat lunch. <laughs> we bullshit about what we got that afternoon. And we start training people at three o'clock. And he's like, he's like, well, I don't know a lot about business, son. He's like, maybe I don't, maybe I don't know something you do. He's like, but that just sounds like a terrible business model if you're, if, especially if you're paying, you know, a, a lease that's charging you twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so he started opening my eyes up to the adult training, some of the things yeah. we needed to do to shore up the business side, stabilize revenue. And that came from the adult training. He also was instrumental in, in you know, like us improving our our goals and our needs. And so we started setting those things up and, and, and the rest is history. And what, what I think gym owners can really, you know, take away is that um, training, training people and the high that you get from, you know, hitting PRs, watching your athletes or clients hit PRs, you know, and hit milestones of success. I get those highs every day on the business side now too. And it's the same thing. I love seeing the business grow. I love when we hire a new employee and they're getting tons of love from our clientele and from our community. I love when I see our clients hit a new PR in their own personal payroll and what they're doing. Cause that means that they've done an amazing job and we have, we've created a business that can support that. And so, so all those things that I think a lot of those coaches see as evils, like, oh, I hate sales. I hate business. You know, I'm not good at that. I, you know, I don't want to deal with employees. I, those are all, you know, things that most people just tell themselves. And once you overcome that internal fear and you learn to love the business side of things, you're going to explode and you'll see a lot of gyms and the people who've done that have really taken off. You know, a name that comes to mind. Uh, who was a collegiate strength coach who made this crossover is like Tim Karens, you know, out there. He's out in California. He's got allegiant gym, great gym, great dude, amazing coach, running a great business, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and so it's doable. It can be done. Well, uh, like you make, t- um, I think you make a great point that, uh, you know, everybody gets into it because they want to train. Like you said, you went in 10 o'clock, let's make some weights, eat some lunch, and we're going to train some people. And it's going to, this business is going to kind of fuel our personal desire to lift weights and train. And then Mm -hmm. at some point, like you said, you rent a space and like, how am I supposed to make ends meet if, uh, if I'm training Mm -hmm. every day at three o'clock, but I'm paying rent on this place 24 hours a day. And then you start looking for different ways to maximize like what's the first kind of realization where all of a sudden people go, nah, I, you know, I mean, cause we, we saw this too, just because I like to lift weights doesn't necessarily mean I should be in the gym business. Uh, and then also the micro gym business, which is an even more user heavy 
kind of owner operator intensive? Like, uh, how does that first structure really work when you bring people in? Is it like, Hey, you know what, like what's going to differentiate you? How are you going to put your system in? And the faster you can get to this point of like understanding not only, you know, how to market, how to manage your, your clients, mm-hmm. because there's really two pieces of, um, uh, user retention. So you got to mm-hmm. be able to retain your clients so they're not pissed off and they don't leave you. But mm-hmm. then you also have to be constantly working on marketing to try to get new people in the gym mm-hmm. because we would always have what we called, uh, God, what, it was, um, uh, what was the movie with, uh, uh, the day after tomorrow where like, mm-hmm. remember the whole world freezes over. We were, yep. we, we constantly talked about like the day after tomorrow where all of a sudden one day we come in and we lose like 30 or 50 clients in a day. And like we had a situation like that where, I mean, and it was nothing we did. It was, um, you know, uh, a company got sold and a bunch of the people that were training um, from that company were training with us. It was like Volcom got sold and all of a sudden all their execs went and took mm-hmm. new jobs. So we had like 20 people hemorrhaged that way. And then we had uh, uh, these other rich people that are like, oh, we're, we're not going to lift weights anymore. We're going skiing to Aspen for a month. And so then they canceled their memberships because, of course, you know, mm-hmm. like they, you know, just because they leave for a month doesn't mean that the gym isn't going to shut down, but we'll just make it work, right? So we just had all this like day after tomorrow stuff where all of a sudden we had hemorrhaged a bunch of clients, but we had put a bunch of initiatives in place to kind of get new people in. And I remember when I sold the gym, I told them, I'm like, you have to prepare every single day as if you're going to get hemorrhaged 30 clients at the end of the month. So if you're yes. not actively fighting to get these people in, just managing your flock isn't enough because your flock will just randomly leave you, not because yes. you did a bad job or anything, just because life changes. Yeah, life and, happens. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, obviously, in its simplest form, the business, the, the 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 name of the game in the gym business is get clients, keep clients, yeah. right? And, and that's what we just tell our 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 community all the time: get clients, keep clients. You have you have an attraction piece, and you have an attra- retention piece. But to go back a little bit, you asked me like, what was the first thing that I I look at when I work with gyms or or speak to other gym owners? The first thing I I, I talk about is their that person's mindset towards money. Um, and the first question I always ask gym owners is how much do you want to make personally? And and because that's going to set up the economics of the entire business. So, so let's just do like a quick little math problem out there. That'll be easy for, you know, so for all the, for all the gym guys out there, right. We'll keep it simple, but let's just say for the sake of this argument that you want to make a hundred grand a year as a, as a living. And you say to me, if I made a hundred thousand dollars, I would, I would have a nice living and I would be able to do X, Y, and Z. And that's a good starting point for me. I say, okay, well, let's just look at the basic math of a gym business. Most gym businesses are going to run between 25 and 35% profit. And that's a, that's a pretty good gym business. So if we say 25%, then we know that the business has to make at least $400,000 a year to pay you the $100,000 salary that you want to make because those profits are going to be your salary as the owner, right? Mm -hmm. And so if a business, if the goal is 400,000 in X time, you know, it's not going to happen in day one, obviously, but we look, we we could probably get a gym maxed out with 150 clients in 18 months though. That's a reality. That's, that's easy. Mm. All right. So let's just say it's two years to get the max, to get to that 400 K, whatever your price point is, whatever service we're selling, dictates how many people you need. So if I'm selling a $400 a month, you know, price point and 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 I know that 400,000 is $33,333 a month, yep. right, yep. in revenue, right? Then I just divide that by my price point. So our average price point is $400 a month. So I only need 83 clients to hit my 400k mark. 
But a lot of people, because they have money scarcity mindset, they want to sell a product for 200. Well, now I need 160, you know, six clients. You know, the super scared gym owner who doesn't know anything about pricing strategies or whatever, or just maybe is doing like, let's call it like Orange Theory-esque class-based services, and they're doing it for 150 bucks, right? And so now if you divide that by 150, people don't realize now you need 222 clients, and that's a lot of human management. Yeah. So, so the very first thing I do is try to get to how much do you want to make? And like, just to give you a quick example, John, like this, like a couple of weeks ago when we were down in at Sorenex and I love an event. I love Burr. I love the team down there. They do such an amazing job, but there's a lot of collegiate strength and conditioning coaches there. And, and I speak to a lot of them about, and I met a bunch of guys that were doing, you know, the private sector thing. I've crossed over to the dark side, to the private sector. Sure. And, and I, I'm speaking with one of them, and he was very busy, just like me, training athletes, got super busy, maxed out his space capacity in the afternoon, went all in big on a new facility, took a 300-and-something-thousand-dollar loan and went in on a big facility, and still only trains athletes, right? And I said, dude, like, you shouldn't have gone bigger before you filled that space top to bottom. You want to literally just overflow with people. I said, all right, well, I said, can you help me? I said, I can help. I said, how much do you want to make? You know, what's your goal? Like if I could wave my magic wand this year, what is it? He goes 60,000. I said, dude, I said, that's the problem. I was like, I was like, you, I said, like, you can't wipe your ass with 60 grand. What are you going to do no. with that shit? You can't send your, you can't send your kids to college with 60 grand. You're not, you're not buying a new car with 60. Well, my wife makes a lot of money. And I said, well, I said, I said, all right, dude, but you went into business. Like you can't, you, you can't tell me that your strategy is just make enough money to live your passion and you're going to feed off your wife. Like that's not a business strategy. That's not going to help grow this business. And you're never going to have good employees because your, your, your revenue is not going to make it. I said, so I said, I want you to put 120 grand down on that piece of paper. I said, so that's what we need to make. I said, cause that's, I said, I wouldn't get off my ass for less than, you know, 120 grand. If I'm going to own a business, I got, and like, to your point, deal with all the damn customers, the bullshit, the employees, right. For 60 grand F that shit. Right. So, so that, so the mindset is really it. Then we work backwards from there. Once we have a starting point, low self-esteem. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's just, it's, it's not even that, that could be it a little bit, John. I think, I think more of it is how many, how many affluent, wealthy family kids do you know who want to become strength and conditioning coaches or trainers? I, uh... I don't think any. I mean, I can't. Right, that's my that's yeah. my point. So if you come from a white collar family, you know, Laguna Beach, it, it, and and your son or daughter says, "I want to be a I want to be a personal trainer," right? You're probably like, "No, honey, you're going to yeah. go to school for blah blah blah. You'd be a lawyer, sure. a doctor, a finance, you know, make a real living, right?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So so you have you have you have a demographic of people that's generally, you know, the fitness minded people, they're they're passionate about it, but they're not wealthy. They didn't come from, they don't come from money. So their mindset towards money is is scarcity in in in, in of itself. And so you, and all of a sudden you're gonna ask a person to pay three, four, five, six hundred dollars, upwards of a thousand dollars a month for personal training, yeah. and you would never pay those prices yourself, yeah. right? Nor have you ever. And so there's this weird, like, oh, God, I'm afraid to ask. What if I ask? So one of the things we always tell our people is never count other people's money. Do not put your fear of money. Do not put your, what you would spend in somebody else's pocket. God damn right? it. Because that you is... don't know. The guy, I, I mean, I have multiple billionaires that, you know. Never count. What was it? Never count anybody else's money. Yeah, never count everybody. I, we, I always say never put your money problems in other people's pockets. 
Uh, dude, I've dealt with this um, so many times where all of a sudden, um, you know, I, like I look at everything like what's the value of this? And then like, you know, you pitch it out there and all of a sudden because somebody else wouldn't pay that, I would never pay that. Well, you're not our fucking customer. Um, I've had guys that worked for me where I was like, hey, I'm going to charge this and this. Oh, I would never <laughs> have paid that. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're not my customer. You work for me. That's why you would make a paycheck. So I, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I mean, um, you know, we're always, and I I think when we got in the gym business, uh, you know, we were running a CrossFit gym and there was kind of like CrossFit kind of came in and kind of set the pricing. So all of a sudden it was 180, Mm -hmm. $200. So when we had the private, uh, little facility that was in my downstairs, I want to say it was like $300 a person. And there was like, I want to say that was between 50 and 65 people that were trained in there. And the place was super profitable. Like we were printing money. All of a sudden we move up to this big kind of warehouse location. And now all of a sudden, even though it's two miles up the road, it's a warehouse. Now all of a sudden it doesn't feel like a boutique place with a private shower in this. And like all of a sudden people were, you know, like the, we dropped the price. I want to say it was 180, 200 bucks. And I just felt like, um, because, uh, you know, when people came in, they saw the first space, this is the cost. Oh, it's kind of felt like boutique training. It was in a nice, in, uh, these industrial kind of high end million dollar lofts and people were willing to pay it. All of a sudden we go up to the, you know, warehouse district, mm-hmm. you know, the light industrial. And now all of a sudden people are like, oh, this is Eastside Costa Mesa. And there was like a price set with it. And there was another CrossFit gym. They were like charging 150 bucks. Well, they're charging 150. And I'm like, ah, uh, so we ended up getting kind of backed into this price. And I always felt that it was always undervalued. And I'm like, dude, you guys are yeah. getting high-end semi-private training. And the way that we ended up doing better was just trying to peel people out and actually do personal training. But then you got to have coaches. And it was it always amazed me with our coaches where they were happier to coach a class of 20 people and make 25 bucks than to actually do a one-on-one and get, get paid maybe $100. And I'm like, you guys, I'm like, you guys exist in this ecosystem of coaching classes so that you can trim people out to have personal clients. That's what it is. It's a fishing, it's a, a captive pool. These people have already made a buying decision. Yeah. They've already showing willingness to spell. What, yeah. you, what you have to do is sell yourself as, you know, if they train with you, they're going to have a better result. And that was like the hardest thing because I ended up having a bunch of private clients that I just trimmed out of this thing and been like, dude, you're doing fine in this class. If you train with me, it's going to be way better. And most of them did it, but I couldn't convince other people for that mindset. Yeah, no, it's hard. And I think so like right now in in let's call it like the membership gym, not the big box gym space. That's a different game. You know, yeah. I, I don't think there's too many privately owned um, people trying to open up like a 40,000 square foot uh, warehouse outfitted with millions in equipment that most people just don't have the capital. And well, it's a dead game in my opinion. Oh, yeah. You know? and, and the only way that people are, you know, if you see people doing it, it's because they're using it for, you know, TikTok and like uh, there's a big gym. I want to say it's in Philly, yeah, yeah. North Philly. Um, Fusion. <sighs> Yeah. Yeah, they just opened up. Oh, dude, I I uh somebody tagged me in it. It's like forty thousand. They you have should. all these like Instagram TikTok rooms where you can go in Looks and unbelievable. Like, dude, they have all this crazy lighting. Like I couldn't I, I was like my head exploded because all of a sudden they you know, I saw where the location is and I'm looking yeah. at it and I, I want to say it's uh is it Bucks County? It's a little up that way. Um and I'm like I think so. Yeah, it's just a, it's a little out in like the yeah. affluent suburbs of Philly. Yeah, but I, I was like, how is this? Gym? I mean, like, I'm like, this is insane to me. Like, how do these people support this? I mean, this is a huge facility. Look at like the the way it's built out. I'm like, how many members do they have? How do they build? Like, it just, I, yeah. Their dumbbell sets alone are a hundred grand dumbbell sets. You know, yeah. they have like the all the big 
pro chrome dumbbells. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're dollars. They're like five to $7 a pound, those types of dumbbells. So it's like wild style. I, I don't know. Look, in my opinion, that gym model hasn't worked too well around the, the globe, right? The, the large globo, everything gym we do 11, we got the, we got the nail salon, the hair salon, we got spinning, tanning, you name it. We got it right. There's only been, there's really, you know, there's only one that I know of that's done it and that's lifetime. And they're a multi-billion, they're a multinational multi-billion dollar brand with gazillionaire, uh, big VC money behind it. Right. And so they're playing a long game. They also play the real estate game where they buy and own most of the real estate. So, you know, that changes things a little bit too. Uh, What's what's crushing it right. Oh, I I was going to say though, you know, you bring up such a great point in the real estate game. Part of the reason uh, that when, you know, we were in uh, Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, I was trying to buy a building because I knew I was just going to get Nick Olin dimed out of these, uh, out of these leases, you know, and, um, you know, we were at 85 cents. I think, uh, Ben who bought my gym, uh, recently he was up to like, I think he just recently sold, but he was at like four or five bucks. So, I mean, it had gone up exponential. And I remember when I sold in the gym, I'm like, Hey dude, I locked in this lease for five years. You have five years to war chest money to buy something. And every time I went to go buy a building or went to go look at something, I ended up having a dude, like we looked at a pretty decent little warehouse space. I made an offer. Some guy walked in with $3 million cash, dropped it on the deal. Cause they were basically building, um, uh, weed grows. So Southern California, they all wanted, they, they were all building, uh, you know, grow houses. So they were mm-hmm. buying all these little warehouses and basically just growing weed in them. So they were coming in, buying them all cash for three times what they were asking. The guy's like, hey, I accepted your deal. I got to give you the money with, back. This guy just ba- bags of stinky cash. <laughs> dude, dude, this like the place was like a million bucks. I made an offer and a dude walked in with three million and dropped cash on the dude's doorstep. And we were like, fuck, oh I couldn't God. buy anything. So when we moved to Texas, I bought a ranch and like all of this well, is built right. on the like, property. I mean, that's where you start to look at it, right? Yeah. That's you awesome. got to I mean, Cali's too expensive. Cali, you know, it's funny in a place where the gym business is, is a huge business. It, it, I would, I wouldn't do a gym. I don't know if I'd do a gym in Cali, you know, it's just, the price is, is prohibitive. You know, the leases are really terrible. Um, and, and the, the culture in some areas in terms of the, you know, you know, the environment, like my friend owns a great gym in, in San Francisco. I mean, there's homeless people camped out in front of his gym every single day you know and there's nothing he could do about it and the cops do nothing and and it's really affected his business a lot so i think like what's killing it right now in the industry is kind of the in-between right so there's there's again you got this big box gym we don't care about them they're doing their own thing they, that's billions of dollars and, and a game i don't want to play and then so if we're looking in like the 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 training space you have class-based fitness the crossfits of the world the orange theories, the F45s and so forth, where you come in, you, you got a, you got a HQ wad, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and it's, it's pretty much the same workout from open to close that day, whatever, you know, the, the company deems important. Those gyms are running, like you said, in that 150 to 250 range price range. And, and they're, um, that's a low coaching overhead. They're usually hiring pretty terrible coaches and people that can just like speak on a headset like mine and all right, everybody, let's get going. Right. So you just need, you need a fun spin instructor type person to, mm-hmm. to run those facilities. Um, the results on those facilities max out pretty quickly. Cause that's just working out. That's not training. You're just sweating. So is it, it's good for a lot of people, but it's not great for most people. The middle of that space or the, I would say the upper end of that space is the one end, the one-on-one training facilities and 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 that you can get a lot of traction you can really help people but like you said 
to train somebody one-on-one three days a week is a commitment on both sides of the desk. It, it, you know, it really takes a special person, or at least from me, my point of view, I, I, I there were not a lot of people that I wanted to spend three, four hours a week with, you know, individually. Right. And my wife is probably one of maybe a handful. Right. And that's it. And so, so that becomes a dead game. And you also have to look at what you can charge, right? So the majority of uh, personal training sessions one-on-one in America are under a hundred bucks still. So the average price is in the eighties, right? So it's about 85 bucks, let's say. California, you may be, I, I just did a consult with a guy from California last week. He was, he's in the Carlsbad area, you know, mm-hmm. north, of, north of San Diego. Yeah. And he was charging $90. And I said, man, that's part of your problem. You're, you're in crazy money area. You got to be at least charging a buck and a quarter to a buck 50 for those sessions. Otherwise, you're never going to be able to make your money. So you're pigeonholed to that one session. So what, we, what, we, what we've done is kind of bridge the gap in the middle. I don't want to be 200 bucks a month. That's not enough for me. I don't want to be a thousand a month, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. That's too much for most people, and the majority of it. I I look at it from a price per hour. You know, a hundred dollars an hour is not that great of money. So we're in the middle space, that semi-private space. Um, you're training four to eight people is generally where semi-private lives, and and that's going to be you know on the low end of gyms that I've seen nationally. You know, you're in the high twos, two ninety nine, two seventy five to mid threes. Um, and in better markets like here or more expensive markets like here in the Bergen County, Rockland County areas, um, about 400. So we strive for an average price point of about 400 a month on our clientele. So we're selling either a, you know, a two or three or a four time a week semi-private personal training program um, that comes with nutrition and things like that. And so that ranges, you know, around four to five, you know, those those packages go from like four to six hundred. And, and you get people in on that. So it does a lot of things. It does two things. One, your average hour is about $250 an hour. Now you're talking decent money. It also, like you said, it gives you a little bit more. Like now I have, if, if, if John's in one of my semi-privates and John's having a bad day and he isn't, you know, he's moping around, doesn't feel like talking, or he's just not having his best day. I got five other people that are, you know, lighting up the energy and we can communicate with and we're having a good time with, right? The team environment, as you know very well know, is a very powerful thing. So when you have other people doing the thing, whatever it is, like, hey, everybody, today we're gonna, you know, we're gonna finish up with a little prowler challenge. And, you know, you know, maybe John didn't want to do it that day, but it's because the other five guys that we're training with are all getting on it. It's like, all right, we're doing this today. And that's just the end of the story. So it does a lot of things for the social dynamic as well as the economic dynamic of the business and that space right now as a whole industry-wide is is still very underrepresented um but is booming and growing very rapidly yeah. there's a few big players in that space that are coming out soon <clears throat> is um is there carryover or crossover between you know like martial arts jujitsu and some of these places with the the kind of deal um I oh just, yeah you know like the uh i don't remember like the micro gym necessarily coming up but i mean i always remember seeing martial arts studios and jujitsu and i mean obviously jujitsu now but it was Mm -hmm. karate back then uh and there were some like some boxing places so i always wonder if like uh you know their price points i don't know man like um you know nobody's going to come in or maybe they will now but i don't think people are going to come in and pay four hundred dollars and you think about like 
a jujitsu place where you have an instructor who's effectively a black belt, let's say. So they've gone through this, like, you know, let's say a 10 year process to, to wear this belt. Whereas like for the CrossFit gym, you know, kid goes to a weekend seminar, comes out two days later and has their CrossFit certification and you can just throw them in and fucking wad their face off. And as long as they're, that's, that's the whole industry though, John, that's the whole industry. My wife could take a test this weekend and own, you know, uh, uh, a gym on Monday and be, and and on her social media, (sighs) she could put expert fitness and health, you know, fitness and health expert, you know, it's like, that's what always struck me about this martial arts deal where I'm like, dude, these guys actually have to dedicate and train. Whereas in the fitness space, uh, you know, all you need is some good lighting and, uh, you know, a little bit of caloric restriction and you're probably, you know, an incredible trainer or all, all you got to do is, is uh, mimic some stuff. But, um, you know, fitness has changed. Uh, it's, it, it's really fascinating, um, to like see the evolution of this thing. Like, you know, with, and, and really, uh, um, so let's talk about the karate side of things. Let's talk about those. Two. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated on how these models connect. So look at so well, the one thing that martial arts students have is they have this built-in ranking system, which to clients is kind of like built-in retention system, right? Because most people, so I did martial arts my whole life as well. So I did goju karate, judo my whole life. You know, um, started at just before I turned six. I did a summer camp when I was turning six, and then I've continued my whole life in a lot of disciplines. Now, you know, Muay Thai. <laughs> And, uh, and so forth. My son's been doing jujitsu now for about a year and a half and he's about to turn six. Right. So I'm sitting in the studio with him multiple times a week and I'm watching, they got a great product and a great group of guys. And the guy who runs the studio will, uh, is a black belt. Right. And I'm watching and I'm just seeing money, literally like little dollars flying out the door. Right. And I'm like, man, this guy could do so much of a better job running this business. And so he's got packed classes. So one day we go out to lunch, I take him out to lunch and we're just chopping up about the business. And I said, you ever think, what do you do during the day? Nothing. All right. He's like, I got a couple guys that come in. We have a couple classes. I said, well, I said, well, why don't you do something in the morning? Like all, all adults who have jobs and kids and careers, they're only available from six to nine or from, you know, 4.30 to 8.30. Like that's pretty much the sweet spot for the majority of adults who create this program during the day. He's like, yeah, I don't know, you know, scarcity mindset. And I said, well, if you set up a semi-private model, you could charge double what you're charging. And I said, I'll be your first customer. I said, if you had training at six in the morning, three days a week, I'd pay, I'd pay $350, $400 a month for that if it was a small group of qualified guys who are all, you know, yeah. similarly ability. And I would absolutely pay for that. He's like, you think so? You think so? I said, yeah, absolutely. So long, long story short, we set, I help him set up a semi-private model three days a week, two classes a day, six and eight o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and, and they sold out, uh, they did, they did two spots. They only had 12, 12 people three times a week. So six and six, they sold that out in like an hour with one email. Right. And, and he was like, Holy crap. I didn't think that was going to work. I said, look, there's always a, the people will pay for exclusivity. I want to pay to be in the room with the black belt instructing me and a handful of other guys getting high quality rolling, getting high quality, you know, martial arts, getting high quality instruction. I don't have a problem paying for that. I said, I don't want to come to a class. It's like, okay, for my son, who's five to come to a class with 15, 20 kids. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, a well-structured romper room, right? I want to come to a class, you know, at 47 years old, I want to go, I want to show up with a couple guys like John and I, I want guys that are serious and I'll pay whatever for that. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So, you know, now 
they're rolling that semi-private model five days a week and they just added the third class every day and it's sold out every time they add a new class it's sold out you know with an email to the community really and and so the model exists it can be set up in martial arts schools we have several in our consulting group or have had several in our consulting group uh, over mm-hmm. the years um it's almost the same exact thing instead of selling fitness you're just selling you know you're selling martial arts yeah no i i did i agree with you um i roll a couple days a week and uh i go to um well the reason i got into it was there's um at the space we go it's pretty big they have an adult class at the same time as the class for my daughter and i wanted my daughter to do it she didn't want to do mm-hmm. it by herself her twin sister didn't want to do it so i was like i'll do it with you so we go at the same time and uh there might be you know five to seven people in a class there might be 30 people in a class but what I ended up doing is finding some pretty good training partners that are pretty consistently there. Like we text, like you come in, you come in, and then you always have good partners. Um, but it's uh, the thing which always seems very difficult yeah. for me with their deal <clears throat> is because it's um, and like they have to develop their coaches so much that it's so much owner operated. And then mm-hmm. obviously there's kind of a figurehead and people are coming to train with that guy. And then when that guy's not there, has he basically done enough to build enough rapport with you know, the other people who aren't there. And, uh, that's an interesting piece where I'm like, you know, like it feels very hard to clone this without kind of your own little, I guess you could say like your own little superstar at each facility and you know, how you build into them. So I think that's the interesting piece. It's training. So in the training is a little bit more, I I would say like, I don't want to say it's like easier or different. It's just different. Right. But everything can be set up in a system. Everything is just a system, right? Everything. So our training system is a combination of years of experience and work that I've done. And now our director of training, Adam Menner has taken over on the training side and it's like taking years of training. You know, uh, if you ask me like what style of training we are, I I couldn't tell you what style we're varsity house, right? It's a a combination of West side, Charles Parkland, Eric Cressy, you name it, all the people who've influenced me over the last 25 years. And, And Adam, our director of training now is real big in like, you know, speed, performance, mobility, things like that. So he's like, you know, friends with like Les Spellman and guys like that. And, you know, he's, he's coming along on the newer age of training, you know, this episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, Go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. This isn't something we dive into very much. Um, You know, I get hit up, you know, multiple times a day about people that are interested in kind of what we do in terms of like online programming and develop technologies and how we do that. And, uh, you know, like the, um, you know, obviously the quality of the work has to be there in terms of the programming and the experience and how you deliver it. And I think what we're good Mm -hmm. at is uh, stickiness, you know, like being able to retain um, people, but it's also, you know, building a brand, dif- differentiating yourself in the market, kind of who's the individual that people are looking to. Yeah. I mean, you know, you build, basically build your varsity house brand, you know, you have these individuals like yourself behind it, but like, what is mm-hmm. the perception, you know, the perception out, outward might be different than inward. Um, but I, um, 
the yeah uh, the interesting piece is, I mean, obviously you have to have a quality individual, but like I feel like it's yeah. easier for me to bring like a young coach in and, and mentor and develop him in real time than it is for like a martial arts dude to develop a black belt. Because at the end of the day, if I show up to the class uh, and a black belt's sure. not teaching, and I've rolled with the dude, and you know maybe he's a uh, you know like is a guy a blue belt? Is he you know I mean like. Uh, like how does that fit? So you almost have to create these individuals yeah. and then they have to understand the style, which you teach, which, you know, in jujitsu is, is, I didn't realize this. Um, individuals have very unique styles. Like some guys play more of a distance game. You know, the mm-hmm. style that, you know, we do at the place I train is basically side control and smash. It's a lot of heavy pressure, uh, very technical kind of like, you know, whereas some of the other stuff, like you go to art of jujitsu, those guys in Costa Mesa, I showed up there and man, it was a bunch of little dudes like, really, really a lot of movement. So, uh, having a, having individual, it's kind of steeped in that and then having people that can sell, that's been like the most interesting piece. At least I've just, just from going to jits, people come in because obviously they see it. I I don't know how they get there. Um, but then they come in and like, what's their experience? They usually just like, Hey, take your introductory class, which I think is the worst approach on the planet. Uh, I dude, we, we used to do that when we owned the gym. So we, I, I worked with a guy close to you, uh, Alan Shabaro. You Alan know, Shab- Alan, you ever Shabaro BJJ? Uh, he's here in, in Austin? Texas. I think he's more on the Houston side of things. Okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think he's in Houston, right? Okay. And, uh, you know, he wasn't with us too long. He was struggling similarly with what you're talking about, the onboarding process. So we created a great onboarding process for him with like a real like gym style onboarding where they come in for a full assessment they do a they do a one on one assessment. They 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 get X Y and Z training, and they get their gi. So we had we fixed the price to that, and we definitely changed that process. Um, the, the 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 martial arts side is definitely a little bit more niche because, like you said, taking developing a black belt takes a long time. But like you know, to 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 quote like Dan Sullivan, you know, it's who not how, right? You can hire coaches, right? You can go out and hire other coaches. I get that you might want your stable of black belts to be exactly what you came from or what you did and teach your assistant, but you can train people to 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 sure. you know to to do things a little bit differently. Um, there's always going to be here, here's a set here's a here's an idea for you, John, because like you know, it really just depends on what you want out of your business, right? So there, there's, you know, in the martial arts schools that we've worked with, that has come up every single time. Yeah, but nobody can teach my the way we teach. Oh, yeah, no, I, nobody I, can do it the way I do it, dude. I, I hear, I hear that same bullshit with everything. Like, oh, nobody writes a program like I All do. The no, time. No, it's, it's, uh, like if you think that's the case, uh, then have right. people leave and go somewhere else. And, and like, you know, the problem is the consumer is not as educated as you think they are. And I know, uh, like just watching, you know, at Jits, right. I, I'm, you know, as being a, having owned a gym and then obviously running a business, I'm always constantly evaluating people's, um, you know, like what is the first touch point? Like how, when people come in and I always love seeing new people come mm-hmm. in and actually I do my part. If anybody takes a, a introductory class, that's over the age of 40. I'm always like, how'd it go? And they're like, Oh, it's pretty good. I'm like, Hey dude, um, don't feel like you have to come every day. People fuck up because they're like, oh, I'm going to come five days a week. I'm like, fine, come two days. And once you get to two days and you establish it, add a third day. The problem is, is that yeah. you're going to have to still develop. Like I do, I probably convert more people for them just to the fact that I'm like, hey, dude, um, you don't have to feel like, you know, like the belt you're going to have the longest is black, right? So 
take a chance. The white belt just gives you a license to not know what the fuck you're doing and nobody's expecting anything from you. So don't feel any pressure. Nobody's going to fuck with you. But here's the deal. Just be consistent. Set a goal. Like, hey, I'm going to come twice a week for three months and see if you like it. And on top of it... um, I, uh, we, we've done some podcasts about this, but I'm, I'm constantly amazed. Um, men commit, I think, suicide at three times the rate of women. And it's because men over the age of the four, of 40 are like the loneliest human beings on the planet, right? Like it was something like yeah. seven out of 10 men or it was seven out of 10 men over the age of 40 don't have a single friend that they could call if like something went wrong. And so it's like, crazy. yeah, it's, it's, crazy. it's, it, uh, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. And I was actually, my daughter's pretty switched on. So we were driving home from JITS and she asked me this question yesterday. She goes, well, you know, why are men lonely? And I'm like, well, because, you know, to, cross, to quote Chris Rock, men only have value if they can provide something. Everybody wants to save the women and children, but fuck men. Mm-hmm. And I always thought Chris Rock's deal was hilarious with that. But I'm like, it's kind of a lonely <laughs> deal. You, you got to shoulder your business. You got your family. You have all these things that you have to do. And as long as you're successful, everybody likes you. And if you fuck up at one, everybody's against you. And maybe nobody's coming to save you. So with this, for the most part, like when dudes come in, everybody's, um, everybody's quick to tell you that you shouldn't have done that. You know, yeah. I knew that gym thing wasn't going to work out for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I see dudes come to jits that are, you know, let's say late thirties, even in their forties, whatever, I always tell them, I'm like, Hey dude, um, if you join today, you will instantly have 25 new friends that you didn't think you needed. And you'll have people texting you. Like I have all my buddies at jujitsu, like text me, you coming tonight, you coming tonight. I'm like, of course I'm coming tonight. We go every Monday, Wednesday, we you know, pick up some Fridays and some other days, but we're consistent in those times. And they still text us. Just want to make you sure you're coming. And it's, uh, it's good for community. It's your belonging to something. Um, you know, the, the ranking system's interesting, but I really think that that community aspect is what people are really going for. And every time I go to like a commercial gym, I actually re- recently went to a commercial gym. We were at home. Everybody's got headphones on the music's garbage. Nobody picks up their equipment. Everybody just kind of like autonomously kind of moves through the gym. Nobody's really connecting and talking. And, uh, I've never seen a more lonely facility or a yeah. more lonely endeavor. So the thing which I always liked about the micro gym and what you're kind of talking about is identity, branding, guys having sure. a bad day. He's got other guys pulling him together, the same in JITS. But um, we're in a, a hell of a crisis for men. Um, there's never for been sure. a time when this is. And I really think about things like the micro gym, things like this podcast or power athlete and what you guys are doing as almost like a lifeline for a lot of these dudes where it's like if you're lonely and you need friends, go pick up something. Oh, I, I'm, I'm out of shape. I can't do jujitsu. Oh, great. Well, there's a micro gym down the street to get your ass in shape. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I, that's a great point because maybe when I, I was a kid and Zach, and I don't know how me and Zach didn't meet as kids because we circled around all the same gyms. Like, we used the di- like there's a gym in Jersey that's like notoriously hardcore court called Diamond Gym, yeah. Signature Fitness. There's a couple. And Bev Francis's gym out in Long Island. Like, we went to, like, I, you know, I made my 18 year old pilgrimage. Yeah. Zach makes, uh, sends me videos and pictures from Diamond Gym at least once a week. <laughs> It's, it's it was it's it's a wild place. I remember walking in there at 17 years old and just being terrified by like monsters, you know. Yeah. And that was back when dudes were still lifting in like ripped up jeans and like you know work dirty work boots. But we're know, the same age, a, so I know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So here's 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 an idea, right, for people that are dealing with employees or thinking about. So you, you know, you want to be a coach, you, you own a micro gym, or you're thinking about owning a micro gym. 
And, and and just to clarify for people listening, the micro gym is just a privately owned personal training gym, yeah. right? It, the size of the gym doesn't matter, but generally speaking, it does. Like we, I look at fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred as the sweet spot for economics. Right? Once you start to get over that, the economics start to degrade a bit. Um, but here's an idea for people: when you start a business, you start a business on like literally rocket fuel of adrenaline. You're so excited to do this thing that you've dreamt about, you've obsessed over for a period of time. And something that, and for a lot of us, it was something that I was truly passionate about, and I loved it. So I was like, "Dude, I, you know, I get to literally get paid to do something I was going to do anyway. So if I was working the regular nine to five as an accountant, when the bell rang at five o'clock, I was going to drive my ass to the gym every day anyway, right? So I get to do this thing now, and then I'm training, training, training. I'm dealing with customers. I'm managing my books. Um, I'm trying to do some basic marketing and finance." Um, I'm, I'm thinking about scale and growth and then, oh yeah. And then I have a wife and a kid and other things to go home to, to, to keep me busy. Right. So as if I'm not busy enough. So when we think about hiring people and we think about bringing people in, especially on the product side, other trainers, uh, 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 another jujitsu specialist to help, you know, with the coaching in your school, I always looked at it this way because I'm the owner and my brain has to compartmentalize the six major seats of any business, right? All businesses are comprised of six major seats, right? Leadership seat, that's your CEO, head, visionary, whatever it might be. Marketing, sales, operations, systems, your product, right? In this case, like your head trainer could be or your head jujitsu coach, and then the financial side, right? And as a business owner, you have to manage all of those things. So let's pretend that out of those six seats, you're managing them all equally. It's never that case because most people you know, like the jujitsu coach, like the trainer, they're way more heavily skewed towards the product side. They sure. usually are the product at first, right? So so if you do 100 divided by six, that gives me 16%. So I'm literally in, in its true self, only able to focus 16% of my energy at any one time on those seats. So when people are scared to hire or don't want to hire and say, oh, nobody can teach it my way. Well, here's the reality. When I when I offloaded the head strength and conditioning job, when I used to do all the programming and all the employee development, all the training development, I gave that to our now GM, Mike, who is uh, now he's the GM here. I gave that job to him. And, and, I, and I thought to myself, well, the problem that I'm having is that when I'm training people, I'm focused on these other things too, right? And I'm thinking about marketing. I'm thinking about sales. I'm thinking about scale, finances, paying bills, all that crap. And so my brain is, partial of my brain is being clouded by all these other seats that I have to sit in. If I put somebody in the head coaching seat, right? Now, 100% of their brain is focused on coaching. And they're 100%, even if that person is only 80% as good as I was, is better than the 16% that I'm actually able to focus on that part of the business, mm -hmm. right? So so the concession that most gym owners and and of any type have to be okay with is that you're the best for a reason. You're the gym owner for a reason. You're the entrepreneur for a reason. There was, there was something inherently about you that was great that gave you the balls to take this opportunity and run with it. You have to be okay with handing it off to other people and knowing that they're going to screw up a little bit and that their 80% of ability, but 100% focus is better than, better than your disjointed focus. And it's your job. Now it becomes my duty to give them the tools and skills to improve themselves, right? And to improve that job. And Mike, Mike took, you know, again, just using my own personal experience, when you have the right person who has the want to and the core values that fit your business, they're willing to learn 
And, and he was not as good of a coach as me, not even close. But now he's an f- absolutely phenomenal coach. And I, and at this point, when a client comes to me and says, well, I want to I work with Joe, I said, you don't want to work with me. I said, our training sessions are basically going to be like a coffee talk chop. So, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to be solving world problems for 45 minutes. We're going to work out for 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm, not, I'm never going to write down anything you do or keep track of nothing. So <laughs> you, know, you don't want me anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, you know? uh, it, it's a fascinating problem. Um, you know, I personally don't think entrepreneurship is for most people. Um, like you said, like it, uh, there's, you know, this constant state of worry where, you know, like generating new business, coming with ideas, doing this and then finding people that, um, and this is an interesting piece of balancing value, uh, where I'm paying you X amount of dollars to do a certain job. And I have an expectation based upon that amount of money of what is done. And if it doesn't match, then all of a sudden you get this weird fucking like, friction piece where like you're dude i'm like you're not i always expect people to overachieve and like you know the problem is is that when you're just paying people it's it's not always the case so it's uh it's neat when people overachieve your overachieve your expectation or do a better job or you just have to balance it better um i really think too uh there's an interesting shelf life i'm sure you've seen this where people come from you they mentor a couple years down the road like if they stay but then you know you probably hope that they go out and they do their own thing like you're coming here to kind of mentor learn your business Mm -hmm. what's the next piece and so um i've never you know been upset that people that have come and worked for us and then gone on and done other things just the mere fact that like you know, hey, uh, you you need to go on a, the term I use is go slay your own dragons. Like there's uh, there's ideas I have in this piece, so I think it's um, it's an interesting interesting paradox of like entrepreneur. And uh, I have a buddy who uh, one of the guys that does some work with us. He's uh, has an MBA, and he's like, I didn't learn any of this stuff as in my MBA. He's like this kind of like weird internet kind of micro. Um, small business, entrepreneur growth. And he's like, you've basically done like multiple MBAs in the course of the 10 plus years you've been doing this because you did it on the fly. And my wife's got an MBA in finance and also went to North Carolina. So she always tells me, she's like, you know, this isn't the stuff they teach you unless you get into a kind of a practical kind of post uh, maybe professional MBA where people are coming in and doing case studies and this, but uh, it's definitely an interesting piece. Um, What's the failure rate of, uh, of micro gems you think? Failure rate? Oh man! I, without having the exact stats in front of me, I would say it's about eighty percent. You know, uh, it's very high. It's more than half of them are out of business in a year, and then another half of them are out of business within five years, and almost none of them make it to ten, year ten. So half are out in a year, half are in within. Would you say three or five? Yeah. Wow. Based upon that, would you recommend somebody get into the micro gym business? Yeah, man, absolutely. There's big money in it for sure. And you can make a great, so here's the two things, right? One, I love what I do, right? I love helping people. I love coach. I love being in the gym. And if I wasn't, you know, if I was John Wellborn and I could have my own, you know, private studio to train and and so forth, I would love to have that. Right. But I, but I love helping people and I love being in front of clients and I've always been kind of like a, a good client facing person. And so it's very rewarding to see a young athlete achieve their goals and successes. It's very rewarding in the same respect to see a a 50 year old busy mom who hasn't seen the inside of a gym in 25 years, you know, get their body back, get their confidence back and all those things. So I love that. And if you run a smart business, 
So just to give you some quick numbers here, it, our businesses, our HQ here runs at a little bit over 30% profit, right? So so we're running, uh, for all intensive purposes, a gym this size, we're running a 1% or gym, right? Most gyms this size are under 20% profit. Sure. The smaller facilities run between 40 and 50% profit. That's a really great profit margin, really yeah. great. And so when you look at like a small facility, that's 1,500 square feet. You could put 125 clients in there. I, I'm, I'm skewing the prices for us, but if I have 125 people paying an average of 400 a month, um, that's a $600,000 business. Well, you do the math, right? If, if, if you got 600K at 40% profit, right, you're making a really nice chunk of change, right? You're making 240 grand from that facility profit. They only have two and a half, two and a half, three employees. You have a facility leader, you have another full-time coach, and you have a part-timer or several part-timers who swing, right? Sure. There's no admin staff. There's no real customers. It's not a big, a lot of our stuff is run from HQ. So if you run that, it's pretty low headache. You do five of those, right? Well, that's a million a year in personal income. You do, you do 10, 2 million, you know? So our plan is to do 20 of these and, and the, and the finances support the growth of it. And it's, it's, it's not a, it, once you set it up though, once you have the systems, it's easy. You know, Dan Sullivan's got a great book, strategic coach, but he's got a great book. Two X is harder than 10 X, right? Nothing could be more true. Opening 10 gyms is not 10 times harder than owning one, right? Opening 10 gyms, the process, if you say the biggest problem, like we said, we go back to the original conversation, the beginning of the conversation. The problem is the scarcity mindset of the of the owner and the coach that's running the facility. I want to make 60 grand. Okay, great. How many gyms do you want to? Well, maybe, you know, just this one, let's do this, or maybe I open up two gyms. You know, I'd love to do another one one day. And it's like, okay, well, what if what if we set up the business? What if we said we were going to open up 10? Well, your whole mindset has to change because to do 10, you have to have systems. You have to have a hiring process, a firing process, a, a, you know, a customer service process, a training process. Like there has to be a manual that I handle. John wants to come be a coach at my gym. I hand you the varsity house health and performance method book. And, and, and this is how we train. This is how we deliver the product here. So the loot, the money is there. I recommend it, but I recommend it that gym owners go into it, that when you do this, once you make the conscious decision, I'm doing this, right? And you're sitting at home kind of, you know, on the yellow notepad, scribbling your business, you know, plan together. That should be the last day that you think of yourself as a coach, mm -hmm. right? And that, that's got to be the, 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 the rebirth of yourself. I literally, I shed the old coaching skin. I throw the whistle, you know, uh, 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 in the garbage, right? Put the stop watch in the garbage. And I'm now a business person first. And the skill acquisition for being a good business person has to start immediately or hopefully like starts ahead of time. I'm in a unique spot right now on the consulting side because I'm seeing more and more young on young gym owners come to me before they open their gyms, Dude, uh, which is amazing. Which is so smart. I, I personally, um, if I had had like this interaction before I opened a gym, I mean, because, uh, uh, you know, I realized that the sweet spot was somewhere, like you said, it was like 1200 to 1500 square feet. Cause that was the one that we, when we started in was the most efficient. We could, we could have a higher price point. There was less people we had. Uh, it was really mm -hmm. quick. Like, you know, classes were limited cause of limited space. All of a sudden you go out into this, you know, 7,000 square foot facility and there's all this dead space. And like, I mean, I just constantly walked in and it was like, we store shit in this corner and I'm paying for this corner. 
And I always wanted like a smaller, more efficient. It's like when I moved to Jersey, I bought like an 8,000 square foot house. And I had a cleaning lady that came once a week and she would just like do this rotation on cleaning. And there were rooms in the house I never even went into. I lived in the bedroom. I had a back bedroom that went up to this and I was, you know, single dude, but I wanted this big house and it was an absolute pain in the fucking ass. So I've always wanted like a smaller, more efficient bit of everything. And I think it's so intelligent for these guys to actually go in and be like, all right, well, if I sit down with a coach like you, um, and when I mean coaching in terms of like mentorship with this, like, okay, like what's the area I'm going into, uh, have I done a competitive market analysis? What's the ideal space? Can I actually make money based on like, Hey, if I'm going to do a smaller, more boutique retail, um, you know, it's obviously gonna be a higher price point than light industrial. Can I charge what these people are charging? Cause it's really hard to ask somebody to pay 400 when there's uh, some jack off down the street charging $99. Yeah, And um, we, we ran into this, which we call the price wars, where we had these CrossFit gyms doing these like massive online, uh, what was it like, uh, what was it called, um, where they would sell these coupons and they'd get like a thousand people in at 50 bucks. Groupon. Uh, Groupon. Groupon. Oh my God. The Groupon deal completely destroyed our market because what yeah. happened was these people would just like buy the Groupon, go train yes. in the gym for three months, and then they would wait to go buy the next Groupon. And they just basically just would go around and float around and they were never consistent members. They would only show up to train for the, you know, 12 bucks or whatever it was and completely decimated the market. So being able to do market analysis, sit down and then figure out like, hey, what's my price point that I can actually make this financially viable? And then after you do all that, all that research, do I have the cash? What does the float look like? How long do I have to be able to make this work? How many clients do I have to go? What's the marketing piece? And once you put all that together, you either make a decision to go forward or you don't. And, um, to me, that seems like the smartest way to go at this. I mean, look, I mean, I think it's going that way. But remember, gym owners aren't that smart, right? So it's a young industry. It's it's a it's a you know, as a whole, you know, the fitness industry has been around a long time, but the small privately owned gym thing is not that uh, uh, old of a thing. Um, we're we're just seeing now the first wave of aging professional strength and conditioning coaches, the Mike Boyles of the world and so forth, kind of get to the end of their career. And those were the guys that were like, you know, started it. So as a profession, it hasn't been around that long. So I think it'll now um, it'll start to professionalize a little bit more as, you know, CrossFit was a great example of, you know, filling a need, creating a niche that didn't exist prior in the fitness industry, you know, uh, real training with, you know, a, a little bit of badassery and this great community vibe in a small box gym that you could get open for 50 grand. Right. So it gave people opportunity and hope that they can do this thing. Sure. CrossFit sure. took off. I opened my gym in 06. CrossFit was booming around then, just kind of was taken off too. Right. It was getting going. 06 to 012 CrossFit's exploding. Um, you know, and in the last few years, barring the problems that they've had internally at HQ, you know, but they, they, you know, they have had quite a bit of retraction and what's happened is all the, all the tire kicker gym owners who didn't level up on the business side, right. You know, went out of business during either the pandemic or could have even been in this real estate market crush in 08, 09, or just natural attrition, they lost themselves in the business side of things. And what was left in all the micro gym space was all the people who had good businesses. And when you shake out the bottom 10% of anything, 
um, you're usually left with a higher quality product or individual. And those people are starting to elevate the 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 industry as a whole. There's more good people out there. Um, there's more young entrepreneurs who are seeing it as a business before they open the doors and that are taking the steps, like you said, to either study marketing and sales and business in school as an ancillary to exercise science or phys ed and or hiring mentors like myself. I'm working with a guy now, Jared, who's opening a gym in Austin next year. Oh, yeah. Um, and so there'll be a nice new gym coming, a great space. He's calling it True Fitness. So a little plug for Jared. He's a great, great, great guy, right? Really great dude. And him and his wife are taking the entrepreneurial plunge. He hired me a year and a half ago. Right. And, and literally for the first six months, it was like just talking about the brand, the logos, what are we, what, his vision for bringing this thing to life, you know, and very smart. Now he had the economics. He had a little bit of business savvy. He had the money to plunk down for a consultant. But I think like if you're if you're thinking about doing this and you're looking like, oh, OK, my startup budget for this new gym is going to be one hundred thousand dollars, you know, Add ten grand to that, and add a business consultant to that, and sure. and and get out there and and find somebody who's lived it. You know, if you want to train athletes, make sure you hire a coach that knows how to do both the athlete business, which is like running a separate business, and the adult business. Sure, you know, if you want to be in the you know in the boutique high end like foo foo ladies fitness space where you only work with forty to sixty year old women who pay for like a complete boutique solution, you know, you're charging a thousand a month, then you you need a coach who's done those things. So that's why I think a lot of people come to us, John, is because we're real coaches. We lived it. We're still living it. We're growing our brand today. I'm in the gym today. As soon as when I finish up with you today, I'm back to work in the gym business. Right. And it's yeah. like, so the, the consulting side of things was a passion of mine to, as I saw myself in so many of these young gym owners who were struggling and I struggled too. We almost went out of business. Um, I've lost a lot of money making stupid moves. Um, we've hired bad coaches. We've hired bad people that you know tore the culture apart, and we had to get rid of them. Um, but thankfully, we you know like in life, if you make fifty one percent better decisions than you didn't, you had like an awesome life, right? So sure. we've made more. Um, and I, I think that I think that you know, I think the gym owners just as a whole. If you don't see yourself as a business person or being able to acquire those skills or not being able to see yourself falling in love with that process, right, you're probably better off in the collegiate world, right, where you can focus on just being an amazing coach and delivering amazing coaching. And your demographic obviously shrinks down from like, you know, a massive giant, you know, millions of, you know, regular kids who just want to play sports and busy moms and dads to, you know, 1% freaks who are here at this university to train for this specific sport, right? And whether or not, you know, me and you look at athletes today and think that they're as motivated as maybe they were in our times, I think they're incredibly distracted nowadays. I don't give, um, I feel like, uh, like these kids are such behind an eight ball. I feel so terrible. The fact that like social media and all the distractions they have, like yeah, it's uh, it, it's things we didn't have. And I felt like it's so much easier. I mean, the the fact that you have college kids with NIL having to manage all this stuff that like they shouldn't have just going out and playing. And even the kids today, like I, before this, I was on a call with Nick Hardwick, a yeah. center for the, um, for the chargers. And we were actually talking mm -hmm. about like some high school football camps and this. And he's like, dude, the recruiting and the amount of social media presence for these kids. He's like, I couldn't, I, I, I don't know if I could have done it. And uh, I was like in the same deal. Um, it's, uh, 
it's pretty wild. But as you brought up Austin, I thought, you know, there's a fairly decent micro gym culture here mm-hmm. in Austin. Uh, there's a place called the collective, which a guy who was one of the honor guys yeah. came over, you know, and then they, they had a pretty high end. It's kind of a really boutique kind of, um, I guess it's like gym work. Like you can mm-hmm. show up there and work, uh, but it's kind of CEOs. I mean, it's, it's, they got good coffee. We went over there. Mm-hmm. One, um, our video guy, Charles ended up going and working for them. And then they opened a much bigger facility in North Austin up near the domain, which I haven't been to, but then there's like, um, uh, obviously on it, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I recently went to, we had David Weck on the podcast and went over there and checked out his seminar. And so, uh, when I went in there, you know, I'd, I'd never been to on it, had heard about it. I walked in and I was like impressed at how small it was. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. thank God. It's very small. Like I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like I was kind of expecting it to be this like huge grandiose kind of building and it was super small and boutique and I was like, oh, this is perfect. These are the type of gyms I want to train in, you know, and, yeah. uh, but there is, um, there's kind of an established kind of micro gym culture here. I wonder if that is kind of specific to certain locations where you don't have to educate the consumer. I wonder with some of the other maybe bigger cities, um, I, you know, I always go back to if I have to educate the consumer before I sell them, it's going to be a lot harder. Whereas, you know, like things like yes. jujitsu and martial arts, people are showing up expecting, they see the geese, the belts, the mats. They're like, you know, they've seen it on TV or, you know, maybe they clicked on Instagram and they saw, I don't know, ADCC or Gordon Ryan. And so they're going to do this because they saw something. Whereas I sometimes think with the training space, um, you know, they might have a preconceived notion. They show up and all of a sudden they see all these weird implements and, you know, there's a Kabuki transformer bar and a prower and a sled. And they're like, what is all this stuff? So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I think it goes down to if, uh, if it's friendly and it looks like a good advice and it fits within their budget and, you know, Hey, this is where we're going to be. And you manage people's expectations. I think you end up doing pretty well. Yeah. I mean, the, so there's a guy, Donald Miller, who's like a great marketer out there. He's got some great books out there. Story brand is like his marquee book that he wrote. It's a bestseller. He's got a whole coaching development program, right? Uh, a really, really sharp guy. And, and he, he's got a quote that he quotes all the time. He says, if you, in your marketing specifically, if you confuse, you lose, right? So if people have to think about or spend calories thinking about what you are and what you do, um, you know, they're not going to do business with you or they've already moved on to the next place, right? Because they couldn't figure out what services you offer or how they can do business with you. And, and he also says that, that great marketing, um, improves sales by about 80%, right? And because, and, and I found that to be really true. So, you know, part one before was like, when I meet gym owners, I ask them, you know, how much do you want to make? Part two is sell your gym to me right now on the spot. I'm a washed up meathead, you know, 47 year old washed up meathead, busy dad who owns multiple businesses and has a crazy schedule. I have back injuries, neck injuries, shoulder injuries, but I want to get, I want to lift hard. I want to train hard and I want to get lean and fit. And I want to look like a jacked badass dad. How are you going to sell it to me? Right. And, 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 and they're like, uh, and I, you know, and they either fumble miserably or they have. Yeah, you know their, their pitch, yeah, their uh, elevator speech, yeah, their pitch. Correct, right? And most people don't, right? So we'll break down the words. It's mission critical that you, I've, I clearly, I in the marketing process as a whole. You know, if we go through like a step by step, you have to know who you're working with. So you have to identify some client niche, right? And and that's a big problem too, because when you're a brand new gym owner, uh, you know, jokingly, you know, call it, you know, you're a money whore at that point. 
and you're basically, I'll say yes to anything. Anybody who's got a hundo, I'll take it, <laughs> right? And I'll, 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 I'll take your money. But niching down to a specific demographic obviously helps you grow your business. You know, the 20% often always outweighs the 80% in terms sure. of revenue. So you're better off niching down. So sure. um, if, if you're going to do athletes, that can be your brand like Varsity House is. Um, but 80% of our revenue comes from adults, right? And and so we still have this amazing athletic program and our brand is centered around bringing out your athletic self, you know, live longer, play harder is a catchphrase that we use a lot. That kind of fits everybody now. You can be the over 40 and mm-hmm. want to live longer and play harder, right, in life. And, and you have to speak to people on their level. You have to identify who they are. You have to identify their pain points. You have to have words on paper somewhere on your website, in your, in your emails or marketing that solve those pain problems consistently over and over and over again. Just like any business funnel, like you guys have a great funnel, right? I, I, I all of a sudden started getting power athlete emails every single day. All of a sudden, the magic of automated email <laughs> service, right? It's like, oh, there we go. I'm going to yeah. be on the podcast. There we go. Now I'm in the system, right? Yep. I'm going to get bombarded, right? So you do the same thing in the marketing space in the gym, right? So I got to get people into my funnel by solving. Them. Well, hopefully we don't bombard you to the point where you uh, cancel. Hopefully we're just providing good information no, no, no. And, and just landed some good stuff. In a, in a good way. Well, that's my whole point. So another another scarcity mindset is like, well, I don't want to bother people. It's like, you know, it's like, look, unless they unsubscribe, you're not bothering me. If you yeah. if you don't have if I don't have one person write me a week say, stop fucking emailing me and texting <laughs> me and shit, then I'm not marketing enough. Dude, I'm 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 totally uh, I'm I I always worry about that because um, but then you know to quote Greg Glassman, people fail at the margins of their experience. I know for me, um, I am the worst fucking consumer on the planet. Like if I need something, I go buy it. Uh, like there's never anything where I get an email and I'm like, Ooh, that looks good. And I kind of like trickle in. So I sometimes worry that like, Hey, like what's like, like what's the ideal cadence in terms of like sending emails and contacting, reaching out to people. And, uh, you know, so I know what mine is, but then I ask people and I do market research, like we have a, a discord for power athlete programs and it's really good. There's, you know, uh, you know, there's thousands in that and there's hundreds in this, but I always ask people, I'm like, do we send you too much content? And they're like, no, actually I really enjoy getting your emails because there's usually going to be a quote. It's going to be something, it's going to be something that either makes me laugh or I action or like, I think like, oh, that's good. Like it's, and you know, maybe you try to sell me some stuff. Maybe I buy, maybe I don't, but I always feel like there's going to be a good nugget. Um, you know, like, uh, sure. I think about like lead magnets. Who, who, and who does the emails, John? Is that, do you write those emails? No, no, that's, uh, that's, um, I, okay. so I kind of view us a little bit different in that, uh, whereas a lot of people invest heavily in marketing, I invest heavily in branding. So uh, that's why when you go to the mm-hmm. website and all the touch points and all the things you see over here, yeah. like over my shoulder, right? Yes. This side, all of our programs are represented on this wall. Um, you know, be the hammers you can see in the power athlete and all this, like all of this stuff, all the touch points in the branding yes. all go back to building this imagery and the foundation. And so when people see it, it's a, it's an association, you know, like little skulls and, you know, the blocks and all this. So these are all touch points. Yep. So Great I've always, branding. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we've spent uh, a ton of effort and work very hard to brand the company so that when people see it, it's very unique and specific and people know it. And um, whereas I think other people kind of push like, hey, we're going to push into these like marketing. I've just always been like, um, I can build if, if the brand is very slick and well done and meets what like the vision, um, the organic marketing 
you know, is just kind of gross. And then, you know, there's there's other people that don't invest into branding and they just buy ads and they just run whatever they can to drive people in. And for me, I think those are kind of hollow. I think uh, you have to be Mm -hmm. able to build upon a brand and you have to have like substance because I see in the fitness world, like, uh, like I see people and I see their brands and I, I don't know what the brand stands for. And that's a, that's a big issue for me. So, um, whereas I tend to have erred on this branding side. If you look at it, like in, in our business, we do, we do a, in our, one of our workshops in our two day workshop, we do a, we do a segment on branding and marketing and the difference between like branding, marketing and advertising. Like, and mm-hmm. obviously advertising is not a game that most gyms can play getting into the advertising side, like uh, putting TV commercials and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like we're not Procter and Gamble here. I don't have a $30 billion marketing budget. Right. So, but branding and marketing. So when you, we, we say, we say, you know, person, brand, culture, right? Almost every small business has a person behind it or has started like a Steve Jobs, uh, 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 Bill Gates, you know, uh, uh, a Jeff Bezos, right? There's a, there's a brand that's, there's a, there's a person, that person creates a brand. The brand is unique in itself in that it has a, a specificity of products, services, and likeness that it offers, right? And then that brand is built off of a culture. And the culture is almost in the culture is, is core values and mission, right? What are the core values of the business and what is the mission you're on? Right. And if you could get people onto the mission, right, you're going to strengthen the brand. And if you strengthen the brand, you're going to strength, be able to strengthen the people within that brand. And I don't know, there's lots of gyms out there who don't have good brands who are doing okay business, but I don't know any great gyms out there who don't have a really good brand. Sure. Right. And, 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 you know, and I'm not saying varsity house is like the end all and be a whole of brands, right. And the branding of it, but it's unique. It, it, it was different at the time and it's very, you know, uh, you know, unique in our community, especially, and especially the services we offer. And, and by creating that brand, we've created a culture around that brand, but, you know, hungry, humble, and committed to excellence are, are, are our company core values. And, and we hire, fire, and develop our team based on those core values and our mission, right? And, and so, you know, and so that's a lot what allows you to kind of create. And so for you, it is a little different on the brick and mortar space, right? Versus like an online business, more of an online business. So your branding matters much, much more. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, to the local gym people that might be listening and the local gym owner, you, you, you don't have to have a power athlete brand to have a really good gym the brand will start to come to life as the person involved in the brand and the core values and mission start to come to life. And there are plenty of gyms that I've worked with that have gone through a rebrand that were like named after the owner, like, you know, Riggio fitness or whatever. <laughs> right. And that just doesn't have like a great no. ring to it, you know, like, uh, you, you know, know it's, it, it's a silhouette of an Italian guy with a little, like the yeah. little boot on it. <laughs> well, I, I was laughing with, with it's, a pizza, you know, is, and, uh, as Zach showed us the cover, you know, of his book, and uh, yeah. it's like this kid, and he's like, you know, like the uh, the shadow of this jack dude in the face of like, you know, the the uh, uh, the gym from Rocky in Venice. Like, I I just I, I laughed in that. I was like, Zach, your brand is hysterical because it's all based around. Like I like if you ever heard me, I'm be like old school. That's yeah. like as soon as I hear that, or like whenever somebody's like old school training, instantly I think of Zach. Um, me too. Not, I think Zach. I told Zach he should rebrand himself as the strength historian, and yeah. he should do a history piece like every week. 
And and like that should be his YouTube page, the strength historian. I want to see I see like a cross between Zach and like a like a uh, what's that guy? Dom Mazzetti, like doing stupid shit in the chair. <laughs> well, the, uh, yeah. the the other one like for Zach, he's, he's almost like um, God, it, it, he really is the historian because uh, he uh, like the books yeah. and all the image, like all the stuff. Like if I if I had a question about like, hey, who said this or where did this come from? I'd call him and he'd be like, dude bro, let me take you through this. Like he, uh, he tagged me in a post about the anabolic diet, Mauro De Pasquale. Cause he knows I worked with Mauro early in my NFL career. Mm-hmm. And like, so as he was tagging, like talking about this stuff, he's like the only person that actually has intrinsic knowledge. Like the real inside is John. Cause John actually knew Mauro and Mauro did his diet and he actually hooked me up with my first supplement deal when I was in Philly. So it's kind of hilarious. And I, I use that oh, wow. diet and still do it with some of our athletes. So it's kind of funny that like Zach's pulling this stuff out and uh, I'm like, shit, I, I'm either dating myself or aging myself where I'm like, oh yeah, no, I, I was there when all that happened. So it's, um, no, it's, yeah, he's fucking great. Well, I, uh, I, you know, like in business and anything like in life, right? You, the, what, what you, what your commitment, commitment and, and the goal sets up the process, Right. So, so the goal sets up the process. So, you know, here's, here's a a personal example, something simple, and then we'll talk about it on the gym side. Right. So like a personal example, I've never been a good runner, a distance runner. I, in fact, I'm terrible, you know, wrestler, football player, martial artist, you know, all kicking, punching, sprinting five yards, jumping, stuff like that. I'm as fast. Sounds fine to me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm as fast as anybody to the other side of this room, (laughs) you know? But so like I was looking at my overall health and last year, like a year and a half ago, I decided that I was going to tackle some distance running and I was going to start running a couple of times a week just to improve my work capacity in that area. So I started running a little bit and I wanted to put something on my calendar that would scare the shit out of me a little bit. So I put a 50K trail race on my calendar last month, right? In May. Shit. And 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 me and a couple of buddies, you know, did this 50K Spartan trail race, right? Okay. It was terrible. And and my pro- my, my point is, is that if I had just put a Spartan trail, they had a 10K. I could have just done the 10K. They had a 21K. They had a half marathon. I could have done the 21K. I knew, me personally, I would not get off my fucking ass to train for a 10K. I would just <laughs> muscle it up and do it, right? I would have just like, you know, I'll just, I can do that. No problem. I'm generally fit. I can do it. Even a half marathon. By doing the 50K, I had to rethink my entire training process and I had to rewrite my entire year long programming for my training just to be able to do that and this past winter january february march me and my buddy are out in the rain sleet and snow running our asses off rocking and running all freaking winter where i would have normally been like all right i'll get back on that in april when the sun comes back out you know and and so forth so when you look at that you know when you when you strive for goals like the gym owner who said i only want to make 60 grand that's not going to help you set up a better process you're you're just going to coast and keep doing the 2x things that you're already doing and that's just get more clients get busier coach more hours and do all the same shit just better or more of it right by saying hey i'm going to run a business and i want to be i want to i don't want to be running this business in 2 years right now you have a, a a goal that's so high level and high thought driven that you have to backtrack that entire process to hiring systems. You know, how do I document everything that happens in here so I can hand off these duties, right? And and and, and so 
most of the time when I work with gym owners, again, we talk about the mindset shift that has to occur. It's really just shifting your mindset to higher level goals that don't include you running the business a lot of the times. You have to become the autonomous. Now, if I wanted to at this point, I don't really I, – I do all the marketing for our gyms, right? And what I like about marketing is that it gives me freedom. I can do it from anywhere. If I don't want to be in the office, I don't have to. I can do it from my lake house. I could be out in the boat fishing and send an email, right? It's easy. Um, but I do all the marketing, so I don't have to do anything. But now if I want to train people, like if, you know, again, if I had, you know, a, a, an NFL guy, or if I have a couple high level athletes, or I have a CEO that I want to work with, I have the time and the autonomy to do that. But the business is set up to run like a machine. And that's really the key. You have to look at the business as being able to do something autonomously without you. And, and if it can't, it's not a business. It's just a job. The business owns you. Sure. And and if you can't walk away from the business, it's not a business. It's a job. And and, and that business owns you. And, and that's really that's a frightening place to be in in year three, four, five. And that's why you see so much attrition in the gym industry, because, you know, doing more training sessions. How many more can you do? Yeah. You know, how many training sessions do you want to do this week, John? Fifty. All right. Well, if well, you want to make more money, that's got to go to 60. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, like <laughs> it comes know? down to manpower, right? Like how many hours a day do you legitimately have to invest into it? Correct. You know, like um, we do, you know, anywhere from like one to four podcasts a week. Right. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, the investment obviously of, of, you know, doing a little bit of market research, understanding who the, who the, uh, the guest is recording this. And then once it's, you know, we hit stop, uh, you know, Jacob's got to invest his pro, uh, time into editing, cutting, setting it all up, pulling clips and getting that and then getting this whole thing put together. Um, you know, but then when you look at it and you think like, hey, this is um, well, I, I also have this weird thing on uh, blind consistency where it's like mm-hmm. I will fucking just basically consistently outwork people where it's like, uh, how long have you been doing your podcast? Ten years. We've consistently launched at least one, if not two or three podcasts a week without question, I mean, without break for over 10 years. And I just think that, you know, to be successful in business, you almost have to have like sled dog, stupid consistency where it's like, I'm going to do the basics and I'm going to do them every day and it's not going to change. And there, you know, there's set things that we have to do within the business that have to get done every week. Um, you know, and then there's pieces like this with the, with the podcast. But then I also find that if I don't do this, then it doesn't help me grow as an individual and really like having this conversation yeah. and talking about business and really just taking this down an avenue. You know, for the most part, we tend to deal with coaches, you know, authors and people, and it's kind of this esoteric and this bigger picture. But when it really comes down to yeah. if this is your passion and you want to actually make a living where you can support your family and do this, which, you know, we talk about blind consistency, consistently do this job for the next, you have to implement these business systems. And I'll tell you, part of my failure in terms of running a business was that um, this stuff wasn't necessarily available when I opened my business. I think it was Rob and Nikki Wolf, Mm. you know, had a successful business and Nikki came down and it was like spreadsheets, mind and body, how you set this thing up. And it was so um, it was more just like, okay, here's the systems you need to effectively run a PNL, like kind of stuff. And then yeah. you get into it and you're like, all right, so, um, you know, like how are people marketing it and, you know, the social media and, and the rise of social media, all the way you market it, how you building a brand has evolved so much in the 10 plus years in which I opened my gym in 2008 that it's, it's unbelievable that uh, people would go into this with just kind of a pull and pray where it's like, fuck it. We found a facility. We're going to open it and run it. And I'm like, 
dude, anybody that opens a business uh, or wants to run, um, you know, has a facility, I'm always like, man, put a business plan together, know exactly what your version of success looks like. And more importantly, like what your time is worth and how much you can invest. Because I think people get into it like, I'm just going to work harder. Well, you only have so many hours in the day. And like you said, like, you know, how many sessions are you going to coach? So having a, um, an excellent, uh, you know, business plan and idea and really just like managing the expectation of what is success, like really just comes down to something that I don't know if you want to do in year three, four or five. I would well, rather do I, that I before we start. For sure. And I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I, and I, when people ask me like, Oh, you know, I have this business. I'm too small. When, when, you know, to, to, to join your consulting group, like when, when do you think is a good time? I said two years ago, <laughs> before yeah. two years ago, before you did this. So, you know, one of the things that's, that's funny is like, um, you know, you mentioned earlier about like the cadence. I wanted to touch on that about the cadence of marketing, right? Um, and and it, it, when people look at like Varsity House now, and they come in and they say, "Oh, well, you know, you're in email every day. You got social media posts every day. You got all this stuff going out, right?" And it says, "Well, you don't have to do any of that. You have to find out what's consistent for you." And so, you know, when it comes to marketing and sales, consistency is the key. And, and for the podcast, like you said, you know, one to three a week for 10 years, I look at guys, you know, other, other podcasts that I enjoy in the fitness space, like a, like a Joe DeFranco, right? Joe's podcast comes out every Thursday, lock, you know, lockdown every Thursday now for several years. I look forward to that. Right. And I, I see that consistency. So for all the gym owners out there that are struggling with content creation and things like that, the best marketing is the marketing that you're going to do consistently week after week after week. So I always start most people, hey, then give me three good quality social media posts that exemplify your community and the problems that you solve and they showcase client success and write one good email a week that does exactly the same thing. And what most people, and I tell it, you start with the email, the email sets up the social media content. You use that unused capacity by writing the long form email first, the idea, you know, five ways that you can improve your health over 40, something like that, whatever it might be. And then that provides you with three or four social media posts for the week as well. You can clip that apart. You could do a YouTube video. You could do a podcast on that topic. You get you know, the, the content creation is unlimited. So we always start with an idea and kind of move from there. So as your business grows, that consistency can grow. Just like you said about the jujitsu student, right? Start coming twice a week. When you build that into a habit and you got that locked down, we'll add a third day. When that's a habit, it's locked down. We'll see where we go from there. Well, and that's, that's how I've approached it with my son. My son, it's like our goal is to get 100 jujitsu sessions a year, right? Yeah. That's Twice super doable. That's yeah. super doable. It's like, hey, if we just do 100 a year, bud, and we do that for 14 years, you're going to be a fucking savage. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> it, it, like the, um, like the jits thing is really fascinating. It's like the gym stuff. Whereas, you know, people have this kind of all or nothing attitude where, uh, and I've been preaching this for a long time, the person that can consistently train with the greatest relative intensity is the one that actually meets their goals. I would much rather have you train two or three days a week with a high level of intensity and recover and be able to do that nonstop without break for a year will be so much farther than like, oh, I trained five days and now I'm burned out and I trained one and this and just this like. Uh, this lack of consistency and the gist is the exact same. Um, I consistently hit like between two and three classes. If I can hit the two, hit a third and maybe hit an open mat. But I know as long as I get my two, 
I'm like in the game. And then if I can get my three and the four, it's fine. But like whenever I tell people this, I'm like, hey, dude, don't feel like you have to come every day if you can. Because I watch this all the time. I've seen people go five, six days a week. And all of a sudden, you know, they make some progress. They do pretty good. And then I won't see them for like months. And then they come back and I was like, oh, what happened? Oh, you know, the life, I got burned out and this. And I was like, yep, if you had spaced that same effort out over the course, you wouldn't have missed anything. And then, you know, you know, and it's also, we're not like 23 years old where like, I didn't have anything else to do other than go lift weights and train. (laughs) Like you got a family, you got all these other things. So, um, but that consistent thing, and I guess it just applies to everything, whether it be your diet, whether it be your training, building aerobic base, getting in shape for your Spartan run, whatever it looks like. I mean, for, uh, I have a ton of people ask me, um, you know, and I'm not going to say like I have hundreds of DMS on this, but I've had a lot of people be like, I want to start a podcast. What do you recommend? That's always like the, the, the DM I get. And I'm like, well, what do you want to talk about? What are you interested in? What kind of niche are you looking for? And I think what happens is, is people see Joe Rogan and, you know, Andy Stumpf and all these guys, and they see them monetizing their podcasts and they're like, well, I should start a podcast. And I'm like, that's great. But what are you going to talk about? And more importantly, you know, what collection of circles of friends? Like I, I have a amazing, I, I always joke, dude, I'm not always the most successful, but I have the coolest friends on the planet. And uh, Zach is included in that. (laughs) Um, But like, you know, to go on and have intelligent conversations and be able to have a go back and forth and have lived enough life to where you can ask these questions and put some stuff together and you're articulate enough to speak. And that just takes reps and opportunity. Like the the first probably 100, 150 podcasts we did were three dudes huddled around a mic with a dude on a speakerphone that are absolute garbage compared to what we have now with a studio and all these other pieces. So I think when we started, there was such a low barrier to entrance for the podcast. Now I feel like everybody's got to come out and you got to have a studio and a video guy and do this. And my whole thing is, what can you do if it's uh, setting up, um, you know, getting a couple hundred dollars with mics and a recorder and just doing a, you know, a voice one and, and loading it up and making it simple? Just do that. And actually use a proof of concept before you go drop 20 grand into mics and cameras and uh, a board and, you know, all this other shit. Like do something that you can do consistent, but at the end of the day, have like a mission. The singular mission for Power Athlete Radio has always been battle the bullshit. I wanted to have yeah. intelligent people come on the podcast to dispel myths and really just battle the fucking nonsense of strength, conditioning, performance, life, and just have intelligent conversations with people that can effectively educate the individuals that are listening and push my own genealogy and education. And uh, if you can do that and you feel like I'm invested in this, where this is a part of what I do and it turns into the regular cadence, like lifting weights and training and doing all the other shit, um, then add it. But if you're just doing it because you want to become Joe Rogan, like that's a long fucking road to hoe. Well, that's that that is, you know, consistency. We know consistency is the game in all human growth. Right. So whatever it is, I don't care what it is. Right. It doesn't make a difference. You know, you look at you have children as do I, you look at everything that they do, anything that they good at, that they got good at required a whole bunch of consistency. Right. And now of course there's people always say that there's always these one, 1% freaks, but the majority of it consistency, all businesses consistency. And we look at it from, I, I try to look at things. Again, one of the things we do is I ask people what they do with their time. Like how do you spend your time? And most of the time it's all over the place. It's like putting out fires and doing all sorts of erratic shit, right? And two hour lunch breaks and nonsense. Right. And so we clean up the time. 
people in the gym game, when you start to hire people, then it becomes what are you doing with your time and how do they manage their time as well, right? So I got to manage my own time appropriately and I have to manage, now I have to manage other people's time. So we we kind of take a clue from like a Michael Hyatt's uh, work where he creates what's called your ideal schedule. So, you know, in, a, in, the, in the business world setting, I'll set up a system of time management. And that time management starts with a personal time audit, right? What are you doing with your time and how are we using it? Um, and then it's specific to each seat, like we talked about, right? So what is the KRA? What are the key responsibilities and, and accountabilities for that specific job? So if you're my head coach, these are the things that you have to do to be the head coach here at Varsity House. And these are the, the metrics that we're going to hold you to, your KPIs. Uh, you know, The head coach here in our business is responsible for attrition. If there's lots of attrition, it's almost always a product problem, right? Um, or a coaching problem, right? They don't like the coaches. The coaches don't seem engaged. The training hasn't evolved, things like that, right? And if it's not that, it's usually just life shit. Like I moved, I had kids, You know, my husband lost their job. Something could be anything, right? Yeah. And so we set up the system. So you go, you go, you go, you know, time audit. KRAs, right? What is everybody doing? What are they? What would you like them to do? Like, again, if John was going to come work for me and be my head coach, this would be the perfect job KRA for you, right? And then I set up your what's called your ideal schedule, and I just lay out your week, every day, all day, every hour, on the hour, when you're training, what you're doing, what jobs, your duties, your actioning, and and we set that cadence for the week. Right. And, and I might not give you everything that I need you to do in your first couple months. Like, again, if I'm onboarding a person, right, it's like, I'm going to give you the, the two or three biggest things. And we're going to do that every Friday. And then it's like, okay, let's add this then. Let's add this then. Oh, hey, you're going to start running your trainer meetings. You know, next month, that's going to be every Monday at noontime. You're going to run the trainer meetings and you're going to meet with the coaching staff. You're going to have that. We're going to have that pre meal like a restaurant does, sure. you know, on a, on a, on a, on a daily basis just sure. to let everybody know what's going on. And then we set that up. And then it's just, and then now I have this template that, We'll call that the perfect template, the ideal template. And if we can execute on that at about 80%, we're going to have one of the top gyms in the world, right? We're going to have an amazing, you know, profitable and action-based business. Now, you do have to keep people on task. You do have to constantly remind people what to do. It's amazing that when you set up this, which in my head is a simple to follow plan, just execute the plan every single week how often you have to remind them to, to look at the plan and execute the plan, right? Well, I think I should be doing this. Is that on the plan? No, then don't do that. <laughs> just stick to the plan, right? Sure, but they don't sure. do it, right? It's kind of like a training plan. Like, no, no, we're not, we're not just randomly, you know, doing, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a thruster series today for no reason, just because you thought it was cool and you saw a video on it. Right. So things like that. And, and, and that's really where you start to gain a lot of traction. My business partner, Dan, is really, really good at what we call keeping the trains on time with the chief reminding officer. He's really good at keeping that cadence. He, he's he's a more detailed, orientated guy. And when we had some of our cognitive testing done uh, a, a few years ago and we started to realize what our special powers were each, one of his was, you know, definitely like I call him the annoying fly. Uh, one, one of him, one of his special powers was, you know, making sure people were doing their jobs properly and he, and he does a great job mom i'm more of the creative mindset so i i've always been great at the marketing and sales and you know the conceptualization of where the gym is going and where the business is going and stuff like yeah, that kind so, of the, the big vision kind of yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and i've always I, kind of been more of the face of the brand yeah. i founded it and stuff like that well i i think you need um different type of people you need somebody for vision and culture like hey this yeah. is who we are this is what the identity looks like you can see the big picture we're going up over that hill and then you need people that carry the water mm -hmm. like hey i'm the person that implements in this and um exactly as, as long as people are, are okay with their roles uh i think you you get pretty far and uh 
Yeah, man, it's um, it's not as simple, dude. But uh, I think for sure, what's nice and and really, I mean, like the you know the service that you're offering is invaluable for people that want to get into this business because one, you're not only giving them mentorship, you're giving them systems. You're uh, really, I think it's a sanity check. Like, I yeah. mean, to me, that's the biggest piece of like, you know, whenever people ask me like, hey, I'm thinking of opening a gym. What do you think? I'm like like really sit down and feel like, is this what I want my path to be? And then I recommend that you should probably go shadow somebody that owns a gym. Like, mm-hmm. Hey, can I, can I follow you around? Can I see what your work looks yeah. day? Can I coach some classes for you? At least get into it and see what it looks like. Because, uh, like maybe like, you know, cause people do the math like, Oh, if I charge people $200 a month and I get a hundred people, it's 20 grand. The facility is going to cost me five. I can take home $10,000 a month. And at the end of the day, you have uh, things like insurance and you got rent and you got broken equipment and you got all the other stuff. And all of a sudden that pie just, and just cause you pick this arbitrary $200 a month cause somebody else down the run, you know, it's nice in the sanity check for you looking at it and being like in the place that you're living, this is what you're going to have to charge based upon what we see within the commonality of the area. Uh, do you think that you can sell a service at this price? And then are other people selling the service? So, um, it's been fascinating, you know, obviously with, with our Power Athlete Block One Coaching Network, we have a ton of coaches that own gyms. It's amazing to see how their gyms have evolved over the years and the guys that have been successful and the ones that mm-hmm. have kind of, I don't want to run it. You know, COVID was an incredible, awful time, but mm-hmm. it really kind of, like you said, it really shook a lot of people that kind of had some shaky business systems out of yeah. the business and the people that were um, intelligent, well thought out and had all of their ducks in a row were able to weather the storm. And um, yeah, man, it's... uh it's definitely interesting times. Yeah. I, I think we, was- we were one of those. We were one of those. You know, we we were we were. Um, COVID was actually a blessing for us. Did uh, it transformed our business? You know, and and you know, obviously, twenty twenty was scary, and and we weren't sure what was going to happen. I had just bought a new home too. My wife and I closed on our house Friday the thirteenth. Uh, March Friday, March thirteenth. Oh, uh, I, I my wife was like, I knew we shouldn't have bought, closed on and Friday thirteenth. And then, right? and then uh, everything shut down. It was like St. Patrick's on, Day. Yeah, Monday yeah. the following week. Yeah, everything was done. Right, the sixteenth, and that shut down, and we were done here. And but what really did for us is what, like you said, it really gave us the time and uh, and and need right to look deeper at all the systems and processes and and where we were going. And Dan and I. Uh, you know, locked ourselves in the gym for a few months and retooled everything. When we came back, we actually tripled the client prices over a period of a year and a half. And we went from, like I said, a gym that was doing 100 private training sessions a week and had 250, 260 people in large group classes and flipped that model to semi-private. And, you know, it's been like this ever since. And, and we were starting to trend that way in 2018 2019 we started adding the semi-private product but because we had these two other things we were we did we were afraid to lose those covid gave me the 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 opportunity to say hey you know when we come back we're going to be doing this a little differently and and that you know and most of the clients stayed at our at our lowest we still had 82 percent of our people going the full time and paying so it really is a testament to systems when you have good systems you have good service when you have good systems you have good people gyms lose another big issue in the gym space is the attrition of the the the, the personnel right your employees you know uh in big cities gym trainers are like hairdressers like they're just in and out all the time right there's like constant flux in most gyms and and a lot of that is because you know they're 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 confused in their roles they don't know what they're doing there's no real 
you know, growth for them. Um, they're expected to just do 40, 50 sessions a week. So I jokingly try to say, like, when we hire people, I try to give everybody a master's in business education. They're all invited to our business seminars, all of our employees. We do in-services every single month. We have a guest in-service, and then my business partner, myself, and the rest of the advisor, our management team do in-services with our staff all the time. The majority of those in-services are not training in-services. They're business and in-services. We talk, we're talking about sales, marketing, finance. And we bring in training experts. Joe D. Zach was one of them. You know, Mark, uh, Mike Robinson, Mike Boyle. We've had Dan John here to do in services with our team. And education is a huge part of what I think has made us successful. And the sure. fact that my that you can you can if you went on the gym floor and you ask all of my employees what our economic objectives are for the year, they know them, how how much money we gotta generate each month, they know them, how many clients we need to, to get every week versus how many we can lose every week, they know them. So the basic scorecard of the business, we've, we've taught to everybody and how their role specifically fits into that economic eco, uh, uh, ecosphere and what they can specifically do to improve it. You know, every employee's got a dollar sign over their head, whether they want to think of themselves like that or not. You know, it's a shitty way, it's a shitty concept. But the reality is, is when I look out my window here and I look down on the gym floor, I'm not just I'm not looking at people. I'm looking at I'm looking at dollars, right? How how much money does X person generate and manage for this business, right? And or what value do they provide? And that dollar sign on their head either shrinks or grows based on their skill acquisition and their ability to grow as an individual. So when somebody's taking on more work, taking on management roles, leading a team, learns how to market and sell real well, that dollar sign grows. And then me as the business person, I either acknowledge that and I reward them with usually pay, time off, things like that, or I don't which is the case in the majority of the gym industry. And then that good trainer leaves and goes and opens a gym down the other side of town. Yeah, and then right? does and everything so, they can to try to kill you. Right, right. So, so you know, we, we knew that. I've worked in tons of gyms, and I saw, like, people stealing all the time or coaches. It's very, very common in the industry where a coach will leave and he'll take his 20 clients with him, right? That happens everywhere and all the time. Knowing that, I was like, all right, how do I keep people? Well, I got to keep people happy. I got to pay them good rate wages. So me and my business partner, we have a saying. I have a, It's on my mission board here. It says, you know, we're going to pay PR and payroll this year, right? And because I know that, A, by the mental shift of rephrasing that to my staff, like, hey, our goal is to PR and payroll, right? If I do that, that means that we PR'd as a business, right? Because the economics of the payroll is like a salary cap in the NFL. A million-dollar business got a salary cap of about 350 grand. If we can grow the business to 2 million, I now have 700 grand to pay to everybody, right? And that's sure. just the business. That's how it works. So so be, if you can translate that to the team and they understand that, so I just we just hired a recent my most recent hire is a guy named Kieran, collegiate strength coach, master's degree, 2 years at the Olympic Training Center. He's got all the boxes checked for being a really good coach. He has zero experience on the business side. None, zero. None nothing knows nothing like a complete blank stare when i was asking him some basic business questions so i'm training him and we're teaching him right but he clearly he's only been here for a month he absolutely clearly understands exactly how many training sessions he needs to do each week to be successful and get to the next level how he can help instigate success with his clients you know whether it's asking for referrals reviews and things like that and we set them up for success by teaching them the business. And he didn't, he was like, wow, I never realized 
He's like, I just thought we were just going to come in and train. I said, well, that's what most people think. And that's why yeah. most people go out of business. You know, yeah. this, this is a business. This is a real, this is the real deal, man. Like this is how I feed my babies. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is it. And, uh, and you got to treat it as such, you know, so you quote, we go, you know, turning pro, right. Another great book out there. If you've ever read that book, turning pro, you know, the, 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 the turning point in life for me was the moment I decided that I'm going to be, I'm going to go from pro coach to pro business person. And, and I'm going to dive in deep. I'm going to swim to the bottom of that rabbit hole and learn everything I can about business, marketing, sales, finance, and luck. I'm very lucky that I have a, an amazing partner who's like my brother, right? We've, we've gone to war together now for 14 years. And he was a client of mine before he was my partner. I trained him for three years prior to that. Uh, he was playing football up at the University of Rhode Island. He's a five-year uh, O-lineman like you. Big, uh, nice. big uh, guard. He was a guard center. And a uh, big dude, right? Like 6'2", 280, 290 at his biggest back in the day. And, uh, and, and I was training Dan and, and we've always kind of, we've had, we've, we've been able to split the business too, which is great. You know, you, he's really good at a couple things, right? Leadership and finances and so forth. He took under his wing and I took the sales marketing and team development education processes under mine, even earlier on, even as much as 10 years ago. And we've been able to run with that. So, um, you know, it, it really is a set of systems. If you're a single gym owner too, so like if there's guys out there that are listening that, you know, you're the only guy, you're the head of everything, you do it all. Then we look at it as as to, again, you, you're still only going to have those six seats in your business, right? Leadership, sales, marketing, operations, product, and finance. You just have to book time for each one of those seats in your own private schedule. So, you know, Monday, I'm going to work on marketing. Tuesday, I'm going to work on sales. Wednesday, I'm going to do all my leadership <laughs> meetings or whatever it might be. And you just you just compartmentalize the duties required for those seats into your own personal schedule. Yeah, no, it's great. I was looking at your tagline, turn your passion for strength into a profitable business you can be proud of. It's genius. Um Dude, I think that's yeah. like two and a half hours. That's it, man. I was going to say, we could sit there just like Zach, we could wrap ever. <laughs> but, yeah. um, we didn't even get to the old war stories. We didn't even talk I know. about old school we'll, training. <laughs> well, we'll have to do another one either next year at Sornex and we'll meet up at some point. But uh, yeah. if, you know. For sure, I, for sure. I recommend that if you're interested in opening a gym or you have a gym and you need to increase your systems, um, this is a, you know, incredible, incredible uh, resource with Joe. But if people want to get a hold of you, I know on the social media tags, Coach Joe Strong, yep. Business of Strength, yep. Varsity House, and the website's businessofstrength.com and varsityhouse.com yes. is uh, is your personal brand. Yes, yes. Most uh, the best place to get me is either at my own in, uh, I, on IG at Coach Joe Strong. Shoot me a DM if you need some help. There's also links to the website on my link tree and stuff. You can get to everything from there. But shoot me a DM. Let me know where you're struggling, and uh, I'll see how we can uh, get it going for you. I was gonna maybe uh, as a gift. Uh, Victor Hugo is one of our athletes, uh, opened his own jit school and he's, uh, you know, 25 and, mm -hmm. you know, he and his partner are going through it. I was going to reach out and maybe see if I could book a consult with you for them and just as a gift and be like, Hey, uh, just because I know that, uh, you know, they're, you know, obviously he's new in it. And I think, man, if like the sooner he could, you know, cause he has a pretty good mentor in Steve who's owned some gyms. But I think as a, as a young guy, mm -hmm. I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, man, if, uh, at 25, if somebody could have given me a little bit of like these books and a little bit of mentorship, it probably would have gone a long way for this. I'd be happy to, I'd be absolutely happy to. I'd love to help. Awesome. Cool. Well, you heard it here guys. So Joe, thank you so much for your time. It was amazing. And uh, I'm sure we'll be, uh, we'll be seeing each other soon. So John, thank you. Thanks for tuning in another episode of power athlete radio. 